Troubles, come on, get happy. Welcome to I Like to Movie Movie podcast. <laughs> My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully. I did not expect that one coming from a mile away, but it is appropriate because that song plays, uh, uh, I wouldn't say heavily into it, but definitely plays uh-huh. into the movie that we're discussing today. Um, if you listened to our YouTube episode, we announced that this week we would be doing Ken Russell's. Crimes of Passion, because both of us have blind bought the Blu-ray, blind bought the blind bought the Blu-ray as part of uh, was that Grindhouse video? Can't remember. It was Arrow, I think. Okay, yeah, Arrow video had a sale, and uh, whoo! So we're gonna get into it. This is a doozy. Yeah, I dude, I we'll get into it, but I fucking loved this movie. Yeah, dude. so I loved but, everything about it. It is like an absolutely fantastic movie on all levels. Yeah, genuinely think it loved it. Kind of is a masterpiece. Uh, but uh, real quick, let's uh, you can find our show everywhere on the internet. I like two movie. Uh, it's a numeric two. We're on uh, Twitter and Facebook, and we're now on Spotify, uh, where you can find us at I like to movie movie. Please follow us there. Listen to our episodes. I actually think we. I. I it's hard to tell because I think it's also hard to get Spotify numbers, but. Just from people I know in my own community, I think we had an immediate jump in listenership just because nice. people use Spotify. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, Spotify helps. And also, we had a really good response to the body bags episode, did. which I think that people just love body bags. And <laughs> so, uh, yes, we found our people and you have found us. So please, yeah, uh, yeah continue to interact. And uh, yeah. I feel like there's going to be more things like body bags. I mean, just just. Uh, you know, in a world where I've suddenly got, uh, you know, physical media and access to Blu-rays and Mr. Garrett here just got a brand new television fucking today. Uh, we're going to be working through our stacks. So yes. there's going to be a lot of very cool stuff. And I don't buy things like the English patient, but I do buy things like body bags. So if we're going to be working through our stacks, there's going to be some cool shit coming up. Indeed. Indeed. Yeah. I'm, I'm actually kind of liking this idea of like, hey, what things do we both own? Let's, uh, let's oh, talk yeah. about the an interesting way to select movies for the show what things does one of us own that we can force the other one to buy yes exactly yeah what's what's on sale on blu-ray doc like what is blu-ray.com showing for five dollars this week that uh we can get each other to buy is that what you use blu-ray.com for the most part they're really good about uh mostly amazon sales like they're really good at letting you know when amazon has really low prices on stuff I've never gone to Blu-ray.com. I never thought to do that. I always just go to the individual, uh, you know, like the individual sellers. And um, but I, I am actually upset that I know that because I recently just told myself, like, stop. You have yeah. to stop because I, I, I just can't stop buying movies. And I went through this period before, which is why I have literally hundreds of DVDs that I've never even watched, which yeah. I've actually been working my way through them, which is a lot That's of fun. And, you know, I love having physical media, but, like, I also am a man nearing 40 yeah. and am in need of just making sure that I have a nice little nest egg to sit on that isn't made of discs. Yeah, So I've got to I've gotta be better about it. That's you should, uh, you I should validated make your, it. Was that? You should, you should make yourself, like, a wish list. Like, you should I, oh, yeah. have in your head, like, I know I want these 12 movies, 
so that when there's a sale on something that comes up that's not one of those 12 movies, you're like, doesn't matter. It's not one of the 12 movies. Yeah. That's a good, that's actually true. I, I mean, I do have a couple wish lists. Like, I have an Amazon wish list. Yeah. I have a note in my phone of things that I want to get. And so I've told myself that I can pick one off with each paycheck. Yeah. And getting paid every that's two weeks. Idea. But then the other day, I went and bought The Howling and Memories of Murder. And yeah. I pre ordered the Severn Films release of Siege. <gasps> and, um, it just, I, and I'm like, why am I doing this? And as I'm doing it, I'm like, why am I just continuing to? And I'm clicking yeah. and dragging and dropping and pulling out my card and yeah. making sure that it's programmed into the system so that I don't have to enter it. I can just buy instantly. I, I don't know what is wrong with me, but. Having gone 15 years without it, I have allowed myself like a six-month grace period since I yeah. got this television to just fucking burn that hole in my... I mean, like, I, I'm i I'm thankfully employed and doing okay right now, so I don't feel so bad about it. Yeah. But also, like, you know, am I, am I really going to watch... Uh, what did I grab the other day? Like, am I really going to... Uh, you know what? I probably am going to watch Get Out again and again. Yeah. yeah. Whatever. There's just a lot of things that I, that I have I that I'm like, I got that because it was cheap. And I'll probably never watch it again. But, you know, <laughs> I've also donated a lot of things to the local uh, free uh, Blockbuster, which has been quite nice. That's really cool. Yeah. I, I love that idea. And that, I do, I, I have this similar thing, right, where I, like, I give away old stuff often so that hopefully mm. I'm not, like, overloading myself with some of this yeah. stuff. Um, but I also, I do that. The other thing is, like, you know, sometimes I buy a thing and then, Literally, like, eight years later, I'm like, why do I even own this movie? I haven't watched it in, like, five years. I'm probably never going to watch it again. But then three years after that, there's, like, a reason to revisit that movie. And oh, I yeah. own it already. And I'm like, oh, this is great. I'm actually glad I still own this movie. You know what I mean? Like, it, Oh, yeah. yeah. That happened the other day when I had to write the 20-year uh, anniversary piece for Freddy Got Fingered. I was <laughs> like, I wonder if I can find this movie. I was like, wait a minute. I have this movie yep. and like, it'll probably be another 20 years before I watch it again, but God damn it. I'm glad I got that in my collection. <laughs> Dude. I wrote about a uh, pie for, uh, yes. Big... Oh, that was a good article, man. Thank you. Uh, I, love, I love pie. Me too. I wrote about for uh, my article on uh, movie John, big ideas, small budgets, like a column I have there. People should check it out. But, um, I own that. I just, I've had that movie on DVD since I was like 18. I think like that was like an Same. early DVD that I bought, you know, that's one of those classic, like I've got the animal house poster on my dorm wall and I'm yeah. getting into movies movie. Yes, um, exactly. I, I mean, I didn't go away to college, so I didn't have that, but you know, the type I do. As yes. I sat under my Ralph Stedman poster of fear and loathing in Las Vegas yeah, and told I mean, myself that I'm a movie guy. Uh, I definitely got me some pie, but that's a fucking good movie. It is a good movie. And I, I mean, I bought that movie probably basically as that guy that you're describing. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Um, but it, it is a really good movie. And it was, again, it's a movie that like maybe five years ago, I was like, eh, why do I even own this? It makes me one of those guys. Uh, and now like five years later, I'm revisiting it. And like, I'm so glad I own this movie it, 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 on its own merits. It's really good. And it's like worth talking about. And, you know, it's kind of fun how that happens where it's just yeah. like, Everybody likes a movie, and then it becomes the movie that's like, oh, everybody likes yeah, yeah. And then, like, a few years later, you go, yeah, like, it happened with Fight Club. Like, everybody right. loved Fight Club. It was the cool movie. And then there was the discussion of, like, yeah, but what does it represent in the culture? And then, yeah. you know, probably like a year ago, everyone went back to watch it again. They were like, wow, this has a new shape. Yeah, this yeah, is, yeah. You know, but it's also, like, legit good. Like, there's yeah. a lot of, uh, you know, there's a lot of movies that go through that cycle, and, and Pi is certainly one of them. Yeah. But I think it'd be fun to watch Pi back-to-back with Mother. Just because Ooh, Mother was kind yes. of a like a little bit of Aronofsky dipping back into his roots of just like frenetic freakout cinema, <laughs> and um, and I, I'm 
man, I think Mother is like me too. Like, be, beyond exceptional. Yeah, like and um, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of like visual tags to something like Pi in that, so it might be fun to watch that, but with the edges sort of shaved off. You know, it was wild to me. Um, the shot uh, of his of Aronofsky's yeah. is so famous. Yes, you're doing it right now. The camera locked on the actor. Uh, which is is famous mostly from uh, um, Requiem, right? Like that's yes, where everybody yes. thinks of that shot coming from, and and because like there's even all the famous behind the scenes stuff of like looking at one of those actors with the big rig on them that is required for that shot to be captured. Ha, I just did it with an iPad. Perfect. Well, it's a thing <laughs> that I imagine he probably didn't have on Pi would be that kind of rig, yeah. but that shot is in Pi like four yeah. different times. Like they probably has... quite literally had just like, you know, the person yep. hold it, you know, and just like with a belt so. on or something. I think so. And like, it's wild to me that in his earliest stuff, like he already has that in his DNA. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, oh, yeah. The stuff He's that a very we... strong visualist like that. Yeah. Yeah. The stuff but that if we you think look of as his earmarks are there, yeah. you know? If you look at something like Mother, too, that has that shot in it, but it's not as static and clinical. It's a more right. of a, like a flowy one where yeah. it's the same exact thing that he's doing, but like he's got the style down pat. So it's clean. It's like smoother, but it's the same sort of just, like I said before, frenetic freak out moment. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, you know, it, he's he's like mastered it in a way where it's just less. We always talk about this with Aronofsky and Danny Boyle and David sure, Fincher. Where they just become yeah. less present, but it's yeah. still very much them. Yeah. I, I watched um, the new Guy Ritchie movie this week, uh, Wrath of called? Man. Yeah, okay. And, I, you know, I'm sure I'll be alone on this. I thought it was, like, like incredible. I really loved it. Uh -huh. I suspect you would actually like it, too, because it's a British gangster movie that's also a heist movie that's also a revenge flick. Okay. And it kind of marries all you three. You like all those things. It's really well done. But, like, his style is very, very director present. Or at least it was when he first was doing, like, these crime movies. And you watch this and all that's there. But he's not announcing himself on yeah. screen like he once did. But all that same style is there. And it, like, crackles. I loved it, man. But it's the same sort of thing where, like, Guy Ritchie made his stamp doing, like, in Snatch. Anytime someone travels, yeah. they do that quick montage, the same as the shooting up montage in, yep. in Requiem that Aronofsky did. And so, like, that kind of energy is there without it just being like, I'm a movie! You know, right. That kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I'm, I don't know if I'm looking forward to seeing that or not. Mo honestly, mostly only because I, like, loved Lockstock. Mm -hmm. And I liked Snatch, and I am mostly off of the Guy Ritchie bandwagon otherwise, yeah. like just from the other stuff, because I've only seen one or two others and they just like didn't do much for me, you know? Yeah. Um, so I, you know, I, I'm not as interested in that, but that's mostly just because like I don't know how I feel about Guy Ritchie really. I think it's worth checking out because it's the most non Guy Ritchie movie that's still a Guy Ritchie movie. And, and I don't, and uh, yeah, and like uh, without a, you know, without, um, I don't consider like his big blockbusters as part of this because like Aladdin fucking blows, <laughs> um, you know, like uh, King Arthur is he, very say, uninteresting, Arthur you know, movie, right? Yeah, his blockbuster, but like his like his pictures, like he tried yeah. to do it with the gentleman, which is actually a lot of fun. Yeah, his um, uh, British gangster flicks, British gangster flicks. Yeah. But this one's like it's got uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, Josh Hartnett's in this. Oh, is he? Yeah, he That's plays fun. he plays Boy Sweat Dave because people in Guy Ritchie movies have to be named stuff like that. Um, but yeah. like a lot of a lot of faces like that show up. Uh, Holt McElhaney from uh or McElhaney or Megal from a uh, Mind Hunter 
is oh. in it. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The guy who plays Mother's Milk on um, on uh, uh, why why can't I think of the uh, the boys? Uh, he's in it. Uh, Laz Alonzo is his name. It's like a really solid cast, and it's just I don't know. It, it's a great mix of like it reminded me of like a less cynical cynical Den of Thieves. It had like that weird procedural notions of like a Pelham one two three, and. Uh, but it's also, you know, is a guy Richie, you know, oi, call blimey, I'm a gangster, in it? Like that kind of shit. Yeah. I, I am probably so alone. And it, it also probably has to do with the fact that I saw it in a theater. So I was just like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, man, I, I just, I'm like glowing about it. I can't get enough of it. Yeah, that's cool. Uh, yeah. I'm just saying real fast dialogue. It's, it's good stuff. I, uh, I mean, I, pretty much always look forward to a new statham so you know maybe there's something there for me we'll we'll see that's where it's one out. catch eventually you know? yeah one day it'll come across your plate yeah. and be glad you watched it yeah uh dude let's let's talk about crimes of passion this is the only thing i've wanted to talk Ooh. about with anybody all week i it's insane this movie is legitimately insane i i i loved everything about it yeah but but i i think that i mean there's obviously like a lot to talk about but there's like a lot to talk about, like because okay, we, uh, just for full context for everybody listening, Dan and I also watched The Devils this week. Uh, I think for the first time for both of us, right? Had you? Seen yeah, it I watched it like two weeks ago when I saw that it was on yeah. Shutter, and did the thing where I watched it, which apparently that is like the the quote unquote unrated version, but it's okay. still not complete. So okay. I had to go online and like watch the scene where she you know sticks the cross yeah. in her cooch i saw and that like, i saw that you know yeah. like things like that and like you know when when the pandemonium's happening and everyone's losing their minds like i had yes. to watch the extent you know so i found that footage on the internet but apparently what was on shutter is like the most complete but the devils okay. is impossible to find so yeah i i like got on that when i could i i believe tori was telling me that she did a little research and there's maybe somebody trying to put one together finally like a good package good. of this movie but I'm not, I'm not sure about that. I, I, I don't really have any details, but I, I'm with you. I did find a couple. I don't even know if I found all of the scenes that were missing, but I found a couple of them and they're like yeah. kind of they're Even those are kind of buried on the internet. Yeah. Like they were a little hard to find. It took uh, me a while to get to them. Yeah. But I, I found a couple of them and they were worth finding They're You know, the, the nice thing is uh, the movie missing the couple of things that I found. It doesn't matter that the movie's missing these things ultimately. Yeah. Right. Like I, I'm not, um, as far as like plot, story, theme, blah blah blah, right? Like I'm not missing anything by missing. Yeah, it feels scene. complete as it was presented. Yeah, all the stuff that I was able to find was just added calamity or added uh, harsh imagery. Yes, yes, and like yeah. not even like that harsher than than I, I, what I was on screen. Like I, I don't know why it, it was missing, really, considering what else is there. I mean, it's an import movie that has yeah. uh, you know that was released at a time where like. If you wanted to be controversial, you fucked around with religion, right. you know. It, so I, I just imagine that in multiple releases, it was it was cut and reassembled and blah 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 blah. I mean, same thing for Crimes of Passion. There's yep. there's uh, I, we both watched the director's cut, yes. which is it's noted on the disc has different uh, sets of quality in certain scenes yeah. just because of the you know the, where they were able to source different things. So yeah, I, I feel like probably just a similar thing where it's just been because it has some kind of objectionable material right. and what is objectionable is like not at all objective. Yes. Uh, you know, those kinds of things just shift around, yep. you know, yep. it is, 
But it was nice I to do find, find it out. funny that everything we ever cut eventually becomes sought after. Yes, so of course. Like, yeah. It always happens. Yeah. That's just the yeah. cycle. Every uh, band thing becomes coveted eventually. But I loved The Devils. I thought The Devils was an incredible movie. Oh, yeah. Like, especially from a production standpoint, almost more than anything else. Like, just the way that movie looks and the way every frame is packed full of this, like, chaos. That whole like, walled-in city yes. is so amazing to look at. Yes. And it adds to the idea that it's just, like, ready to bubble over it. Even at peace, this walled-in city is ready to bubble over at any moment. And the imagery yeah. does, like, 90% of the legwork on that feeling. It's it's a really incredible production, and like Russell is, uh, I mean, at that time, having you know, when I watched that, it was the first thing of his I'd seen. Um, so I've seen two of his things now, that and Crimes of Passion, but mm. I had not, seen, I had no context for his work, right, outside of just hearing about the Devils, you know, and then Same. watching the Devils. And oh, he's I an incredible bits of Tommy. I've still not seen all of Tommy. Yeah, and I've maybe I've seen bits of that. I'm not sure. I'm familiar with Tommy, but I don't know if I've ever seen it. Um. But, you know, so I had no context for his work. I'm like, he's an incredible filmmaker. I mean, like, The Devils is a really, even beyond the production elements being so incredible, it's a really, like, well-realized movie, you know? Oh, yeah. Like, it's the, complicated, the, yeah. but not, like... Yes. Not uh, not cryptically so. Like, there's yeah. just, like, a lot of meat on it, but it's a very straightforward plot. Well, and even the way the dialogue is written in that movie is initially feels like, oh, shit, this is, like, a wall I'm not going to be able to get past. Like, yeah. They're talking in speech patterns and using like uh, uh, certain terminology uh, that I'm just like, not familiar with. It's like from an age that has passed and also probably like heightened for the yeah. movie itself, you know, but immediately that falls away because the performers are so good because you're watching Oliver Reed be fucking Oliver Reed. And like he's yeah, so Oliver good. Reed as himself. Yes, exactly. But he's, <laughs> he's so tremendous. Like the way that he delivers that stuff, it doesn't matter that I don't fully grasp word for word what it is he's saying. I know what he means every yeah. time he speaks, you know? It's the same as like when people say like Shakespeare is not meant to be read, it's meant right. to be performed. And you know, the evidence is there. Anyone who ever had to read Romeo and Juliet in high school is like, Jesus, what the fuck is this? You know? yeah. But anytime you see Shakespeare performed, it's clear as day as long as it's performed well, yep. just because of the intonation and the diction and the way that people do it. Yep. Yep. So I was like really impressed with the devils. Uh, and I think we can and should maybe spend a little time talking about the devils. But I got to tell you, from watching these two movies back to back, like Crimes of Passion is the one I'm surprised I don't hear more about. I get yeah. why I hear about the devils all the time, but I thought Crimes of Passion was like a masterpiece and, and probably the devils is too. But uh, Crimes of Passion hit me harder, like even harder. I would say that that because I gave them both a perfect score on my letterbox. Yeah, yeah. I, I really enjoyed both of them, and I think that they're both like perfect for what they are. Um, That's a good way to put devils, it. The Devils, though, I think that the Devils is sort of fucking about in a world that we see in that. Uh, how should I put it? Creepy and and oppressive religious shit. Uh, and especially in like period fashion is not, you know, it's not my first rodeo with that shit. You know, sure, like I've, yeah, I've yeah. seen movies that look like that before. Have I seen it done better than in the devils? Very likely not. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But what is being like the world that is in crimes of passion is kind of uh, like, uh, yeah, I've, I've seen like, you know, the red light district in movies, but the right. world and the, the, the mental space that crimes of passion takes up is completely unique to it. So whereas The Devils is a unique 
take on a thing that that we've sort of seen before, both thematically and kind of, you know, image and plot wise. It's just done by a master. Yeah. Crimes of Passion is like brand spanking new to me. You know, like that's that's it's how new. I would. You know. I, I feel like even having seen some sleazy and trashy cinema before and I've not seen a lot, but I, I've seen some Crimes of Passion was characters were literally talking out loud about things that I was like, you can't do this in movies. Yeah. And it's not, that, oh, it's not yeah. that you can't, but like we as a, as a kind of culture and society have decided you can't, you know what I mean? It's yeah. not that you can't, but it's like, we mostly have decided like, no, you can't do this in movies, you know? It's and, just, and the way that they speak doesn't feel it's neither real life. Right. Nor is it like classic movie parlance. Yeah. Yeah. You know, because like they, everybody talks sort of in rhythm with one another, mm-hmm. and it's like very like whip smart and back and forth. But they will like casually refer to like their cunt. Yes, you know, yes. which is like you know, like that's something that like typically isn't used unless you're trying to insult a character, right? Or if a character is very purposefully trying to be represented as crass. Yes, and here yes. it's it's just frank. Yes, and, you know, and, and it's it's very weird. Yeah, and there's vulgarity. That is meant to be vulgar, but it is also not meant to be like you're describing, like the only thing that we think about or know about when we hear that vulgarity. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Like, it's not crass vulgarity. It's vulgarity right. that the, yeah, Frank is the only word I can think about is yeah. spoken about with a straight face. And honestly, even if they're you know speaking sort of in rhythm with one another. Yeah, I mean, uh, so um, if the audience is not familiar, and I think Dan and I would both recommend like seek out and watch yeah. Crimes of Passion. Oh, yeah. And, and come back to this episode and listen to us really talk about it, because we're really going to talk about it. But if you feel like listening anyway, uh, the movie is, I mean, I mean loosely, I, I guess to loosely describe it, I'm trying to think of how it's I also, would. I will say that I you should listen, you should watch it before listening to this. Yeah. But I don't think this movie is particularly spoilable. No, you're right. You're so, correct. like, you can listen to what yes. we're going to say. Like, we yes. could describe the whole plot, and that's not going to take away from the pleasures of the movie. Because Fully the agree. plot is not really what the pleasures of this movie are derived from so much. Fully so, agree. like, yeah. And, and, but I, even, I would yeah. still say, go watch it, because you're going to, it's going to knock your socks. Yes, yes. Um, but so if you're listening and you've not seen it, um, like the uh, a loose kind of plot description, I'm trying to think about how to even set this up. But Kathleen oh, Turner. Oh, I can do it. Okay, it's go very ahead. easy. Go ahead. Yeah. Um, so there is a guy who works in the fashion industry as sort of a corporate spy. And um, his boss hires him to kind of get the dish on his competition. And his competition is a businesswoman by day and a highly sought after sex worker by night. Yes. And so we are following this guy as he sort of falls into this world as he pursues this woman who goes by China Blue. That's perfect. That, that is a great plot. Stream. To be honest, I completely forgot that that's how this movie starts. Yeah. Because one of the great things about the movie is that it, it every time you think, you know, like, oh, we've arrived at the point where this is what the movie is. It's, yes. it's this kind of typical movie that I'm familiar with. It's like, no, we're doing that for 10 minutes, and then we are going way beyond that. Like, every time I thought it was about to settle into, like, here's what the movie is, it just was that for, like, 10 minutes. It, it does the investigative stuff for, like, 10 minutes, and then it's like, nope, he finds out exactly who she is, that investigation ends, and now it's about their relationship together. Mm-hmm. You know, like, it keeps, like, going And further. I think, when I before when I said, like, it's unspoilable, I think yeah. that's kind of why. Yes, because like it's it's really not about any one plot event happening. Agreed. In fact, the only t- and I there's really nothing I'd change about this movie. Yeah. Uh, when it gets particularly plotty, yes. that's kind of when it gets less interesting. 
Um, It really is very much about the characters, about what they believe, what they feel, what their hangups are in the bedroom, what their repressions are, what their desires are. Like, we're really swimming in that world. And the plot is just a mechanism, you know, through which to get us there. Yes. And and what I think is so interesting about the movie, and I want to talk about the plot like a little more, but it is just that, like, it is a sleazy, trashy movie that has very real characters that have like real lives and feelings and thought like it, yeah. it, it takes their drama very seriously. And I really liked that this movie was able to do both. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like there are some truly emotional and gut wrenching scenes in this movie. There's also a scene where Kathleen Turner fucks a cop with his own nightstick. Yeah. You know what I <laughs> There's mean? There's also like, like a almost comical but aggressively horny silhouette fucking scene that's just a montage yeah. of increasingly convoluted positions that two people can fuck in. Yeah, yes. you know, and like but like it's titillating, it's comical, but in the moment I wasn't thinking about how horny it was, or I was thinking about like, what does this mean for them? I know <laughs> like, it's that kind of a thing. <laughs> yes, it's it's truly great. Like I, I think it's truly great. Yeah, the way this movie, I don't know, rides both of those worlds. The 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 just truly trashy world, and this like very real emotional world, right? Like it's doing both, and I, I think it's like remarkable. I, I really well, love to it. bring it back to the devils. The devils actually does a similar thing. Um, typically that kind of movie is either about like, you know, like somebody trying to break free from the repression of faith, somebody trying to, uh, reconcile the idea that like, you know, repression within a church can lead to certain types of moral rot. Mm -hmm. Um, but also, you know, like a horny nun movie sometimes can be just like a titty movie, you know, like, and it's not, not that, but it like. Yeah, it just it has all of these things and it never becomes unwieldy with it. Yep. And so this is, you know, I, I think that might be, you know, if I were to base this off of just two Ken Russell movies I've seen, that might be his M.O. You know, he's very much like a Verhoeven in that who's yeah. got a horny nun movie coming out uh, yes. sometime later this year. Yeah, but like, you know, it. you watch a Verhoeven movie and you know, you look at Robocop and be like, wow, man, this fucking delivers on just like hardcore gun robot action. Also, it's speaking about corporatism and, you know, and civil liberties and, you know, what like, like justice within a civic system looks like, like all this shit in there and it delivers on all of them and it melts a guy, you know, like it's, it's all of this, like, yeah, I I would, you know, Crimes of Passion, I would say is very adjacent to something like a Verhoeven would do. Tori and I have been catching up on some Verhoeven recently and we definitely both like felt pretty heavy Verhoeven vibes in this movie. Um, I, I also think is he some... Basic Instinct or Fatal Attraction? I get them confused because I watched them both on the same day last year. He's Basic Instinct. Basic I only instinct. know that because we just watched it. Also a masterpiece, dude. Love that that movie's fucking, fucking movie. gnarly, dude. I can't <laughs> believe how crazy it was. Yeah, I, I only knew that movie as like a sex movie, and that yeah. movie is way more than a fucking sex movie. Like, oh yeah. And it, but it's also still it? like a crazy horny sex movie. Yes, it is. Yes, dude. Yes. I can't wait to place Color of Night in your hands Ugh. because it's nowhere near as classy. It's definitely yeah. like, it's it's not as thoughtful, but it thinks it's as classy and thoughtful. Yeah, but yeah. it's just like it's it's trash that thinks it's elevated. Yeah, and it's in the realm of elevated trash, but it's mostly trash. It's fucking <laughs> oh my god, dude! It's gonna oh, it's gonna blow your mind. I'm with you, though. I do think like Verhoeven is kind of a, a decent comparison point here. I, I think there are certainly some very distinctive differences, but but 
for the particular thing that we're talking about, the kind of tonal hopping that yeah. uh, uh, is able to be achieved uh, here is, is, is kind of similar. I think being able to deliver on exploitation elements, for lack of a better word, yeah. but not leaning on them, actually having like a thick thematic resonance is yes. where I make that comparison point yep, to. Yep. to I love that. Open. Dude, that's and that's like a great encapsulation for I think what is going on in both of these Ken Russell movies that we watch. Mm-hmm. And so, like, to talk about the plot a little more, I mean, I was like so fascinated by this movie because, like, when we're introduced to Kathleen Turner, we're introduced to her as China Blue. Yes. We don't know that she has this daytime life until like a little bit deeper into the movie. Um, and I thought that was a really interesting way for us to learn about this character. You know, as opposed to being introduced to her as a successful businesswoman that has this dark secret. Yeah. We're introduced. It's almost like she is China Blue and just has this supportive base in the form of, oh, no, now I'm going to forget her name. Oh, uh, here, I, I think I can give it to you. I am sitting right on the page. Uh, Joanne Crane. Joanne, that's it. Yep. Uh, yeah, Joanna, like- maybe? Joanna, Joanna Craig. Joanna, Joanna is almost like, Joanna feels like the alter ego, you know? Yes, it's the yes. same thing where it's like, you know, when you get deep into Batman, right. Batman's who he wants to be, but Bruce Wayne is just the guy who finances it. That's yeah. sort of what we're looking at here. Yes, yes. Like, it's not called Bruce Wayne, Bruce Wayne Returns, and Bruce Wayne Forever. Bruce yeah. Wayne and Robin. That's <laughs> Batman. Uh-huh. And so, yeah, China Blue is like, almost like, feels like her, her basal state, even if that's not necessarily how it would be in society. Yeah, and I mean, her character's so interesting because, like, you know, I think there are a lot of times in the movie where we think we're getting a window into her, and then it turns out that that's actually just part of one of the games that she's playing with a John. Well, I mean, straight up, her intro is her essentially, I mean, her intro is her, you know, doing a performance where she's waxing philosophical while a guy eats her out. But really, like, the first time we see her, quote-unquote, on the streets... Yeah. Uh, it seems that she's running from a guy and it right. seems that like she is being threatened by him. Yeah. And then it seems that she's getting raped by him. And then it turns out that all of it was just an elaborate rape fantasy that he has bought and paid for. Yes. Yeah. And uh, and like that's that sort of thing. That's probably the most like, ag- like that sort of sets us up as to how to uh, how to take in any of her future sex scenes. Yeah. Yep. is with the knowledge of we might not be getting the full story until later, yeah, which yep. is sort of a great microcosm of China Blue herself. Yes, but I mean, yes. that's obviously the most gaudy and in-your-face version of it. It is, Which yeah. is why they, they, you know, put it up front. That's why it's up front. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you're right. It's, it's almost, I mean, it's weird to say it about a, a, you know, a kind of a rape scene, but it's like it is a kind of teaching tool uh, on yep. the movie's part, you know? Um, uh, as far as, like, what we should expect from from this character and, like, her livelihood, you know? Um, and it has like a dual function because it like it directly tells us like any of these situations, you know, don't judge it until the money's exchanged. Right. But it also like subconsciously and incorrectly and purposefully incorrectly establishes her as like, you know, uh, not in danger. Right. Right. You know, like that's very I think that's very important as to where the movie goes is that. In that situation that seems harrowing, you go, oh, she was actually in control. Subconsciously, you go, oh, she's always in control, which, you know, as we learn, is not the case with anybody. Right. And, um, but, like, that's a very, very smart way to set that up and kind of program us to think incorrectly about her until later. Yeah, and I mean, once you do get deeper into the movie, she's so interesting to me because it's 
I, I don't know. Do you think the movie is just saying like, hey, she just like no one was loving her. Everybody was fucking her. And it wasn't until somebody loved her that she got like fulfillment out of that. Like, I, I was just trying to figure parse like where the movie lands kind of on her character. I've I, honestly, I don't know if I have an answer. I think I need to yeah. see it again. Yeah. Because I was thinking about it all night. I was like, I don't know what this movie is telling me. And right. the like quite literally the only thing that I think I could say it landed on firmly that I'd be confident. Like, I'm sure it actually lands somewhere firmly. The yeah. only thing that I, I could confidently say uh, I'm sure that it's saying is that it is very much a movie about how important communication is. 100%. Uh, in a relationship as well as just in life. You know, like communication is important. And then I would say that I'm a little less positive about this, but I I think that there is an air there of this idea of like, you know, like uh, how are you going to love someone else if you don't love yourself? The idea would be more like if you're going to communicate with somebody else, you had better be being honest with yourself or else Mm. that communication is kind of pointless. Right. Yeah. 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 Like those are the only things that I can really land on and say, I'm pretty sure that's there in terms of what the movie is 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 either judging her about or like making a judgment on her about if it is at all i don't right. think i can say until i yeah, see you're it right. like 40 more times and it might not be too, and I will. yes i know i i really i can't wait to watch this again i i just this is going to be a great movie we talked about this last week to put yeah. on in the background because a it's beautiful which we will get into cuz yes. i know it's a like very pop tart for you oh yes but um it's like maybe the most yep. um but i also this is the kind of movie that I can't wait till someone just catches it out of the corner of their eye and be like, what the hell is this? I'd yes. be like, dude, yeah. you're taking it home with you. That's right. And you're going to write me a report because we're going to have some fun. Uh, dude, I know it, it's, it is so, I also, I feel like it's a movie uh, on the same, like on the flip side. It's like, I couldn't just drop this movie on anybody. You know what I yeah. mean? Like you gotta be the right kind of person. I think to appreciate what this movie's laying down. Cause it, it is, it's very aggressive in a lot of ways, you know, but, but then it's very tender. I mean, like to your point that I kind of agree with you. I think actually I was a, about to take the wrong approach for this conversation to try and like, you know, uncover what the movie's judgments might be about some of these characters. Mm. Cause I don't know that the movie, maybe what I liked about it is that the movie doesn't have a clear kind of judgment of these characters. It really yeah. is just kind of presenting them to me. Cause I agree with you. The thing that, touched me so much about the movie was that really moving scene between Annie Potts and um, uh, uh, who I think gives the performance of the film uh, like low key performance of the film to Annie Potts because she is sort of our moral anchor if there even is one mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. she's like our our. I mean she's the picture of like repressed plain Jane yep. yeah I mean like I- I'm here with you by the way I, d- yeah. I don't know if you yeah I- like she is the it's interesting that they used Annie Potts this way, right? Yeah. Like this is not what I think of when I think of Annie Potts. She's I, Ghostbusters. <laughs> well, and I even even like Pretty in Pink and like some of her yeah. other roles that I've seen her in, like she is not plain Jane. Like that is yeah. the furthest thing from the role that she normally plays, and she's so good in this. I think in a really, but I think that's a smart casting thing too, because I think we're supposed to get the sense that she wasn't always plain Jane, right? right. And that she's just currently plain Jane by necessity. Yeah. Or by repetition. Yeah. I mean, she's like, she's such a complex character. Like Tori and I kept talking about how it's like on one hand, I think just because of how much I like Annie Potts, I didn't like the way I didn't like her character in this movie because her character is like so repressed that she is actually like a problematic part of this relationship. You know what I mean? 
but she's not like the only culprit there. Like that's not to lay blame on her, but she's definitely like she is repressed to the point of actually being a problem in this relationship. Yes. But he also is well, I think then once like, again it comes down to miscommunication or yes. unwillingness to communicate. Yep. And oh. it's like nobody gets there on purpose, but oh, like that totally. can happen. Yeah. Well, because she's also married to a guy that's literally acts like a twelve-year-old boy. Yeah. And assumes that she's just going to fulfill all of these like wife roles for him. Yeah. You know, um, he assumes that she'll discipline the children. He assumes that she'll take care of their breakfast. He assumes that she, you know what I mean. Like, so she. It's like it's not that she's like to blame for uh, uh, how she is. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah. it's a very interesting, complicated She's view stuck of in a this. pattern, but it's not yeah. necessarily a pattern that she has chosen. Right, right. It's it's such an interesting, like, complicated, and all the characters are that way. Like, it, it's yeah. such, it's one of the things that makes this movie, like, brilliant. But what I was going to say is, like, to me, the most moving scene in the movie is her in bed with her husband, played by um John Loughlin. John Loughlin, I guess, is, is this actor's name. Um, yeah, I, I guess Laughlin would be the pronunciation. Yeah, I'm not terribly familiar with him. I mean, he's in a lot of stuff. Um, uh, looks like The Rock, Footloose, The Lawnmower Man. Like, he, he's in a lot <laughs> of stuff, but I, I'm, I'm not terribly familiar with him. And, and yeah, he looked familiar, but I, I couldn't place him. He was one of those. Certainly, oh, an, he's Footloose. Okay. Yeah, it's certainly an interesting actor. Um, uh, and, and I thought, you know, kind of doing some interesting stuff here, uh, his, his character is interesting, but anyway, they're, they're seen together in bed where he is really trying to communicate with her and she is really trying to like shut off in response to it. And they're just kind of continuing to go back and forth. And then when he finally almost shuts off, she almost like realizes like, oh shit, I, I can't let this happen. And then like opens up herself do you know what i'm saying like yeah, yeah, yeah. it, it kind of i loved that scene and that feels and like it's beautifully it's, shot too because it's got the uh the shadows from uh i would assume a window shade yeah uh yep. you know kind of laying across the whole thing yeah nicely done i i loved that scene and it's not the only scene that is that kind of tender and emotional and and uh, i think there's you know. two scenes of them conversing in bed yeah. And one is before he's had any dalliances, you know, intimate dalliances with China Blue and one after. Yeah. Actually, now that I think about it, I'm pretty sure that that shadow from the curtain is only in the after sequence. OK. OK. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure that I could just be talking out of my ass. Yeah. But um, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I agree. They felt like a real couple. Yep. And it really did feel like like a, the way a real couple communicates once a relationship gets stale. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I was so impressed with that. And again, in a movie that the first hour of it is pure sleaze. You yeah. know what I mean? I mean, it, 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 um, I think the movie is so good that, like, you can tell pretty immediately that there's something going on here beyond the sleaze that you're watching. Yeah. But for like an hour, it is an insane, sleazy kind of comedy. It's like very yeah. funny over that first it's hour. It's like a weird thriller comedy. Yeah. Like it gives um, you the sense that you're about to come into some sort of uh <laughs> come into you're about yeah. to come into some sort of like uh just some sort of like, you know, actually like plotty plot plot. Right. Um, which, you know, as we've said up front is not really the case, but it has that feeling to it where you're like, all right, what's that hook gonna be? Who's yep. gonna get kidnapped? Who's gonna yep. you know, like what is it gonna be? Yep. You know? And then the second half is uh, much more dramatic. It, it it eventually builds back into some, you know, the insanity and the dramatics kind of eventually meet, uh, yeah. uh, you know, towards the end of the movie. Um, but uh, I, I was when it initially kind of transitioned out of the craziness, I was almost like, oh, no, I'm kind of disappointed. I was like really having a good time. 
but then it settled into this like very complex view of all of these characters for that mm-hmm. second half. And I was just like, oh, this movie, that's when I was like, oh, this movie's gone beyond just like, I can't wait to recommend this to my friends. It's so yeah, weird. Yeah, yeah. So like, oh, I actually like legitimately yeah, you, love ooh. this movie. Yeah, yeah. But I think that it, it's one of those, because I had a similar feeling where, you know, once it sort of shifted into family drama and yeah. even like the visual panache toned down a yep. little bit, I was like, all right, you know, we're settled in. I'm a little, I guess I'm a little disappointed that it's not, but then I realized the way it was for the first act, that's not sustainable for a two hour movie. Right. Right. And then it just would have been to a point where it's like, man, I wish this movie had more, very pretty to look at, but more. Right. And so I, I love when a movie uh, gives me what I need. And then I find out later that it's also what I want because what I wanted was wrong. Yes, you know, like yes, this, yes. That's very much what this did. And, and I love when a movie can trick me like that. Yeah. I just, man, I loved these characters and kind of like falling into their relationships and stuff. And, and we haven't even mentioned that like Anthony Perkins plays this, like when, again, another character that when you meet him, you don't exactly know what to make of him. You, you, you think that, so we meet him in a boot in a, what are those booths called by the way? Do you know? I just would call it a spank booth. A uh, nudie you know, booth? Yeah, it's a nudie booth. It's essentially like a, and it's funny because if you look at the cover on the flip thing, she oh, is in a yep, nudie booth yep. on the on the you know the cover of the DVD there. Yep. Um, yeah, it's it's the it's the circular room with with rooms all around it, yep. uh, with a viewing hole where someone can ostensibly pleasure themselves while they live entertain or dances in the center. Yeah, and uh, the windows open and closed based yep. on your payment structure is how I understand it. And we meet him in there, but then immediately he walks out of there, pulls a Bible out of his jacket and starts street preaching. Right. Yeah. So I get the personally, I got the impression like, okay, so this is like a, a, you know, a street preacher who is like, what's the word for this? And he is and he isn't, but like, he's so repressed that he's actually doing the things that he's preaching against. Like he, you know, he's fighting himself. He's like a bad oh, yeah. person that thinks he's a good person. He's a, a self-loathing person. person of faith. Yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah. Self-loathing. Yeah. Yeah, self-loathing. self-loathing. It's, that's, yeah. I mean, that's, I mean, you know, to get wildly political for a second, it is kind uh-huh. of telling that whoever, uh, whenever somebody makes a, uh, uh, whenever some dude makes some law, that is uh, anti-gay. Uh, yeah. They usually do it uh, with a few uh, male bodies in their closet. You know, like it's <laughs> it's uh, you know, anytime somebody stamps down with some like draconian abortion law, we find out that he's had ten. Yes. You know, like it's it's there's always it it happens more often than not. Whenever someone's yes. like, "Wow, we gotta stop gay people," and then he just goes home and is gayer than the gayest person who's ever gayed. Yes. And it's you know, but it's it's that self-loathing, you know. Yep. What movie was it where it was a really good movie? Lucas Hedges plays a, a gay college student. His dad's Russell Crowe. Um, and he he essentially this. just it's like a coming out story. But, uh, you know, it, he he goes to a conversion camp. It's a true story mm-hmm. written by the guy who, who went to it, goes to the conversion camp, you know, does not take it. It's, you know, because his dad is a preacher. It's actually a really mm-hmm solid movie but in the postscript at the end the teacher at the conversion camp ultimately left the camp in order to be with his new husband and it's just like that's always the way yeah so that's kind of the vibe i got from this preacher is this guy clearly has sexual desires as as many most human beings do yep and he obviously feels some sort of shame about them whether he's actually a preacher or not i think is irrelevant yep i think the imagery of the preacher 
whether he used to be one or just sees himself as one, is the costume he wears of, no, 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 I'm righteous, despite what my boners say. Yeah, well, I feel like he's got that. That's what I wanted to talk about, actually, is like we're introduced to him kind of as a preacher. But yeah. I think as the movie goes on, it's revealed that like that's an act that he's putting on as much as Joanna is an act that China Blue is putting on. I would as agree, much yeah. as you know what I mean? Like it's again, this movie is in a, in a very interesting and kind of bizarre way uh, about games as well. Yeah. Right. Like that's what they keep referring to the work that China Blue does as they keep referring to it as games. She even calls them games that she plays games with her. Yeah. Jobs. I want um, to play a game. Yeah, yeah. You've been watching the Saw franchise. <laughs> Dude, it's, it's been something. <laughs> yeah. uh, but, like, I thought that was very interesting that they keep referring to it as games, right? And then his characters, uh, uh, Anthony Perkins' characters, kind of ultimately revealed to be playing a game. That the preaching yeah. thing is not even maybe really his actual, uh, you know, what he vocation. does. Yeah. yeah, vocation. Like, he, I, I think that's his game. And, and that that game has to do with his re- repression and, and how he feels about his self-loathing, right? Like, it's almost like it's, here's how I would phrase it. As opposed to a preacher who uh, becomes self-loathing, it's like he's so self-loathing about his own desires in the first place, he starts acting out as a preacher. Does that make sense? No, it makes perfect sense because people do that all the time where they'll do something awful, but then they hide behind this image of, well, it's not that bad because actually I'm a preacher. Right, yeah. And like, it's almost the bargain that they make with themselves, which is, you know, it's the thing that I fucking hate most, which is the, this has to be stopped, but it's okay when I do it. Right. And like, that's kind of the device that, that he, that a lot of people hide behind is, oh, I can do this awful, hateful thing because I'm, I'm actually, you know, I'm, I'm on the right side here. You know, so he could be like, I'm on the right side. I'm a man of God. Uh, yeah. and, you know, I, you know I, I laid a boner in the wrong spot a couple times, but I'm a man of God is really what this is. Yeah, yeah. And, like, it's the game. that It's the same if we look at, uh, is it Bobby, the main guy? Oh, God, yeah. Sorry, what's his name? Um, He is, yeah, Bobby Grady, yep. Even at the very beginning when they're at what I'm assuming is some sort of, like, a counseling thing mm-hmm. that he's there with the senator from X-Men. Um, yes. When he goes... Love uh, that actor. Yeah, uh, Bruce Davison. Bruce Davison. And, uh, but, yeah, even there, like, his whole thing is like, no, I, I'm, like, I'm happy. I'm, my my marriage is great. I, yeah. Me and my wife, we're, we, I've never cheated on her once. I have no desire to. We're in love. And yeah. we find out that's that's a game. Yeah, that's very yeah, much yeah. not the case. And that, you know, so everybody sort of has this mask. And I think the preacher is is much more to suggest that than it ever is to suggest that he used to be a preacher, which he may well have been, but sure. irrelevant. Yes. You know what? You just helped me, Dan. I think that's a really interesting thing to bring up that uh, Bobby is also playing a game, that Bobby's wife is also playing a game. And yeah. we were just talking about how this movie is kind of broken in half between this like really insane first half and this kind of more family drama second half. And the first half presents us with this seedy, sleazy world that we, the audience, are, of course, above. We yeah. don't live like that. We don't yeah, and play. It's like, and by, by whose rules do we get to establish ourselves as that? You know? Yeah, right? And like we don't play those games. We are not a part of. And then we get presented with the second half of the movie, which probably looks a lot more like our yeah. the audience's lives it's where more air quotes also, normal yep where they're also just playing fucking games and those games are about the same exact things sex communication uh how we feel about each other versus what we think about each other you know mm-hmm. 
Um, They're just more acceptable games. Yeah, right. I mean, it, it comes down to anytime we have, you know, we watch as cycles happen where, you know, the red light district emerges, you know, where, where you know, like sex workers now, the, the uh, what's the word, the stigma is a little less. It's still there, um, but it's a little less as we, as we communicate about it more. Yeah. You know, there's certain things that come out and there's always going to be something that is that red light district. And as social cycles happen and we start to divorce ourselves from things like, you know, heteronormativity, things like kink shaming, things like gender binary, things like that, that we slowly move away from, you know, we realize that these things that were relegated to red light are actually just common, Yeah, you know, are actually as normal as anything else. And then comes the question of, oh, well, then this whole normal thing that we've been doing. Right. You know, that's that's also sort of based on just pretend as well, you know, and so and I think this movie kind of tries to hit that on all levels. Yeah. And, and being sort of, you know, now I'm starting to think about it. Maybe it is kind of meant to be judgment free because it is sort of exploring that idea of just like, yeah, you're normal. But like, who made that rule? Right. Yeah. You know, yes, who decided that this was normal? Because as I'm looking around, it seems that uh, this red light district here has a pretty steady business going in. And that doesn't happen if only a couple people are involved. Well, and I was even just thinking as we're talking here that the the you know, this isn't like the end, the end of the movie. But sort of what the movie starts to move towards is um, Bobby and Joanna, you know, finding some kind of actual spark of something in each other. Right. Mm. And I don't know that the movie is necessarily saying anything about like, see, they just needed to find each other or whatever. But I do think maybe what it's trying to indicate is that like, you know, um, as Bobby moves a little closer to his truth and his honesty and Joanna, uh, moves a little closer to her truth and her honesty. Cause even if China is maybe more her truth and her honesty, China is definitely still like a game that she's playing. Right. Like, and so, like, as they move closer to their own, but truth, she likes being China. Yes, I think is really the, the thing of that. Like, she and, enjoys that. I think she, like, it is just a job in some way, but also, yep. like, I think she's getting off too. Oh, I and, agree. Yeah, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Yes, absolutely. And I, I, I do think that that's like definitely in the text of the of the movie. But maybe as they move towards a little more honesty with themselves, what maybe we're meant to imagine about where their relationship kind of gets to towards the end of the movie is that maybe they can move towards a quote-unquote normalcy with each other as a couple where they had no normalcy in their previous kind of relationships, quote-unquote, but it's because they're being more honest with themselves, you know? Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? No, that makes perfect sense because I think that is sort of at the heart of every couple's struggle. Yeah. You know, I think is like you get set into patterns. You know, like I'm in a pretty long-term relationship now. Yeah. And if 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 we weren't able to be open with each other about what we wanted, what we desired, what we needed, uh, you know, be it emotionally, be it physically, it would eventually just become patterns. Yeah. And, you know, and not to air out too much laundry, but like that is a conversation that had to be had, you know, like yeah, that is yeah. a conversation that 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 needs to happen, I think, with some you know semblance of regularity, because yeah. Patterns are are very easy and comforting to fall into. Yeah, yeah. And so, yeah, I think that that being shaken out of their pattern, no matter where it is adjacent to their truth, yeah. kind of, you know, like, uh, is the catalyst for them being able to do that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, it's so interesting. It's so funny because, like, when I watched this movie, I had such a strong reaction to it, and it was a very emotional reaction, but it was also, like, a very 
holy shit kind of reaction, you know? And it's like now a few days uh, past the initial watch where I've been thinking about it more, and now we're finally getting to talk about it. I have so much more feeling about this movie than I even oh, realized. Yes. You know what I mean? It's very human. It's it's very yeah. much just you know. It's I think it's universally relatable if you're able to get past the fact that it's that it's like pretty you know direct. Yeah. The the one scene that that like gutted me almost is yeah. when he's at Joanna's house and he's like, "Listen, I have to go do dinner with the family." Yeah. She's yeah. like, "You're never gonna come back." He's like, "I might come back. I'll I'll, I'll probably be back." You know, because he like doesn't know what he's doing. And he goes home to his wife, and she's the poor thing is trying so hard. Yeah. And it's very clear that she's trying to like edge that communication door open. And mm-hmm. at this point, in regards to her, he's like slammed it shut. Yeah. He's like in the foreground, just eating like whatever. And she's like, she tells him like an off color joke. Yeah. Trying to like let him know like, hey, I'm not a square. I want to. I want to. Yeah. You know, do this. And then she gifts him his old football jersey and is like, you know, it used to really turn me on when you wore this. Mm-hmm. And she sits on his lap. And it's one of those things where it's like, God bless her. Um, but like their their door of communication has now started creaking open to a different degree and at different times. Yep. Like she's missed the bus now on yep. his discovery. Yep. And now he's too late to to really do the work to open her up. Watching it, I'm going, you know what? I think if they actually sat down and had this conversation, they might be able to crack this open and fix right. it. But the timing's off. Yep. But at the same time, you know, Joanna's like, listen, it's it's now or never. And he's like, I still got to go hang with the wife. Yeah. And it's one of those things that there is no, like, one person's right or one person's wrong. But it's right. all these doors open to different degrees at different times with three people at different points on their journeys. And it's like... It, it doesn't get more human than that. That scene fucking shattered me, man. That was I felt so bad for her, yep. but at the same time, it was like, you know, this is just it is. It is what it is. I yeah. hate that phrase, but it is what it is. No, I mean, oh, it's crazy. I this is one of those movies that like you watch it and go like, look, we can judge these people all we want, but I understand exactly. Like, yeah, you know what I mean? Well like put, I yeah. I understand where each and every one of them is coming from in the moment that they are making those decisions yeah you know yeah uh, yeah I, I yes this movie it's so funny now that we're talking about it, it's like man it really bowled me over even more than i thought it did like yeah, it bowled too. me over but it bowled me over in, in in a deeper way than i even realized you know i watched it pretty late last night i was tired and i was like kind of worried because i was really engaged with it but i was like i bet tomorrow i'm gonna be like man i need more time on this yeah luckily for me it's the type of movie that i woke up and it was just like i gotta think about that some yeah, more. yeah yeah but no, i think talking about it is is uh I mean, as always happens on our show, it's opening it up even more. Yeah. Uh, Let's talk about some of the fucking visuals, by the way. Yeah, man. If you want, we can talk more about theme and story and character and stuff. I feel like I pretty much hit my notes on that, but I think that this is... I have one note that I want to say about theme and character is that if there is any character in this that actually functions as a plot point, it is Anthony Perkins' character. Um, But credit to the writers is that he's very clearly struggling with whatever his own internal conflict is, his communication with himself is seriously at his laps. He's constantly judging himself for having these crazy desires with his knife dildo and, you know, all the different things that he wants and needs and, and doesn't allow himself to have or pursue. 
But he's the one character that sort of puts a ticking time bomb on, cer- on certain scenes. Mm-hmm. He's the one character who actually acts as a, a veiled threat over the proceedings. Mm-hmm. He's sort of the wild card in the plot that gets yep. employed to just kind of move things forward. And so it's a credit to the movie that the plot wild card that exists just to sort of move things forward is also characterized in such a way that is thematically adjacent to every other character's journey. That totally and makes so sense. That is credit smart. to to the the screenwriter specifically for that, but also to Perkins, who yeah. you know when we watch something like Psycho, we talked about like how nuanced his performance is, especially through that as a franchise of someone who's working something inwardly, mm-hmm. and that movie only really becomes plot based about him from two on, mm-hmm. and uh, but it's story based about him. Uh, deceptively so in the first one, and right. then we kind of dance around in that for two, three, four, however far it goes. Um, and so I think it was a smart casting choice to have him here because you say. get you get that same sort of struggle that he's really good at portraying. Also, you get that great nod at the end where they essentially do a psycho thing just for funsies. He's the um, watcher. He's the watcher. Yeah. Um, and then I also just wanted to add: Did you catch what he was playing? The come on, get happy. What he was playing before that? No. The theme to The Shining. Wait, really? Yeah. That bum, bum, bum. You know, that, yeah. that's, I think, I don't know if that's the theme to The Shining. Yeah. But whatever piece of music that is, was the theme to The Shining. That's so if, interesting. You know. That's so funny. And then the only other thing I would say about the plot is that this movie can and should be double featured with Eyes Wide Shut. Dude, it I had is, the same thought. Yeah. I, yes. Very, very just a, a guy who's not part of the underground becomes enchanted by the underground and then discovers that the underground is everywhere and yeah. that the desire to do these sort of things is universal and yeah. uh, not necessarily specifically these things, but things along the lines of, oh, I shouldn't be doing that, but it feels good. And I carry shame over this. Uh, imagine a world where that shame doesn't exist. And I think that that's very much at the heart of Eyes Wide Shut and at Crimes of Passion. And they both do end on a line of, well, now we got to fuck. <laughs> you know, yep. that kind of they thing. both have like a very similar punchline ending of like, yeah. let's fucking get down to it. Like, because he says something at that therapy, like, oh, and then we communicated with one another and then we fucked like nasty pigs. Roll credits. Yeah. Like, it was something he, like that. I'm pretty sure. I think I'm, he says fucked like animals. I'm pretty sure he also is talking to the group and then just for that last line yeah. looks directly at us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but that's the same thing at the end of Eyes Wide Shut when she's yep. like, well, there's only one thing left to do. Fuck. Yeah. And it's like, yeah, you yep. know what? I think you're right. Like yeah. the talking's done. Let's let the bodies talk. Yeah. And they, I think that really is, is what both of these movies are sort of getting at in that sense. Yep. But yeah, now we can talk about all the tech because I, man, oh way, man, what a fucking killer movie. Because you brought that up, I do just want to lay one more thing on you because I thought it was so funny. The thing that made Tori and I laugh the hardest in this movie was when that car pulled up to Kathleen Turner and started offering her things. It was like a couple that wanted her as like a third, I think. Mm -hmm. And they were like trying to make offers to her. And I think at first she was like not saying yes necessarily. And and so they were like, they were trying to sweeten the deal. And they were like, we'll give you anything you want. And she goes, anything I want. And they go, what do you want? And she goes, good health insurance. Yeah. We laughed <laughs> so hard at that. And that scene is shot beautifully. Yeah. Because it's an almost perfectly, uh, what's the word? Oh, why can't Wes Anderson? Uh, oh, 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 symmetrical. Symmetrical. That's the word. Yeah. Woo. Brain word. Doesn't work. And yeah. she's in the middle, legs spread. Yep. And there's, you know, the guy on her one side and the girl on the other side. 
and they're both kind of like feeling her up, but they're having a business talk. And it's very clear that they're approaching the, for lack of a better term, use of, of her services from a completely different angle. But it's this great visual thing where this is clearly a couple that's in need of communication with one another. (laughs) And the only vessel through which they seem to be able to do it is through this prop of a person as they see her in the middle. Yes. Yes. I mean, if we're going to talk about that, I guess we have to talk about, too, that really heartbreaking scene where the older lady purchases her services because her husband's dying. She's like, now that he's dying, I just can't. I'm not attracted to him for some reason, but I need to make him feel like a man again. Yes. That's some real shit there. Dude, it's real. That's so real. I mean, that's kind of what I was trying to say before about, like, this movie is so sleazy. And it's the kind of thing that I expect to see it in exhumed screening. Yeah. But then you get to the second half and it's like, it's emotionally raw sometimes. Yeah. Like it's, it feels so real. And because it's uniting that sleaze with those like really raw emotions, I think it has that cumulative effect of exactly what we were just talking about of just like, what are we judging anybody about anything for? For real. Like, why is any of this in question? You know? Because, because like eventually we're all gonna be that guy who's dying and can't get it up and is disappointing his wife and she feels like she's disappointing him and like you know what I mean? It's like it's such a it's such a full view of what the of what this movie yeah. is depicting. You know, I think what broke my heart about that the most is that her reason for purchasing her wasn't even framed like he's sick and can't get it up. Yeah, she literally says, "Ever since he got sick, I've been unattracted to him." Yes, yes, yes. And like, what a crazy, just what a crazy thing. And like, she she just, but I think that also shows like this is clearly a communication she had with her husband. Yeah, yeah. and it was one of just like, you know, it's not you, it's me. I don't know why I'm not attracted to you anymore, but I'm not because he he doesn't look sickly. Right. He doesn't. He's not like rotting out or anything. He looks like a normal older guy. You know, he's on par with his wife in terms of like, they both look like average people their age. And, you know, it's kind of beautiful that she's able to say like, listen, I, I, I just don't. Yeah. But I know you have needs and I know that you deserve to have this feeling that I want to give you again. And if I can't give it to you, I'm going to get it for you. Mm. And like, it's, it's weird that their relationship almost seems to be the most functional at the moment it's introduced yes. of any other relationship at the moment it's introduced. Yes. And what's crazy about it, I, I don't really understand fully yet the reason why uh, him and China Blue don't ultimately get it on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, you know, she leaves, she pulls her wig off for him and just mm-hmm. like, you know, lets him know, like... She kind of lets him know, like, yo, you know, that's some real shit. I have some real shit, too. Take your money back. You know, obviously, this is not going to happen. I forget what. It's not necessarily her that says no or him that says no. But if I remember correctly, it's almost a silent agreement of just like, you know what? We both thought we wanted this. It's very clear that this is not the solution to that problem. But, you know, best of luck. I think that's what it is. I think it's more just like upon her arriving, I think he... In as much as there must have been some communication with his wife that led to her hiring China, yeah, I wonder how much of that communication was truly between the two of them. Because it seems like upon China's arrival, he's a little like, "Oh no, my wife felt like she needed to do this. Yeah, she she didn't need to do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, uh, it, it, and and I think China has a pretty quick recognition of that. You know, yeah. that like this is not going to." 
he does not need to be fulfilled in the way his wife imagines. Yeah, um, yeah that's a really know? good way to put it. Cause yeah. yeah, I was gonna say like he almost has like a like, you know, she did this for me, and I recognize that she probably actually did it for her. Yeah, and I don't need this. And if I can just tell her that she, that that you know she's not she has not failed to deliver on what she thinks she's failed to deliver, then this is just a waste of money and time. Yeah, and yeah. like I think but it was yeah. something like that. I think beautifully done. So beautiful. That's um, so cool. That's so fucking goddamn human. I'm so glad you brought that up because I almost forgot about that. And that really what Tori and I talked about that scene a lot after the movie because we just thought it was so beautiful. And and I love when she takes the wig off, too. Yes. She, that's the only person she takes the wig off and actually like sort of transforms in front of them. And it's almost as if just to say, like, I get it. As long as we're here, by the way, I, I, we'll just keep doing this. We'll, we'll eventually get to technical yeah. stuff. Oh, yeah. Uh, Kathleen Turner is so good in this movie. Uh, and I'm familiar with her personally more from her like high camp performances. Oh yeah. She's serial mom. Yes. I, I mean, that's what I've seen her in and like a couple other things, but like I, I am most familiar with her as kind of an SNL character joke, like a, yeah. a, a campy actress that performed high camp really well. And that's what we like her for. And that's what she is used for here. I mean, that's obviously why she's cast here. Yeah. You got to see War of the Roses. I do need to see that. I've never seen Holy that. Holy hell. DeVito directed that. Yeah, I know. I but know. like she's in the middle of an acrimonious divorce with Michael Douglas. Yeah. Maron. Oh good. my God, that movie's incredible. But like, it's obviously why they hired her for this movie is that like she has that high camp persona and is good at that. Mm. But also because she can do this. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, then you get to the scene and it's like, this scene is tremendous. It's like, you almost don't expect this scene from not just this character, but this performer. You know, um, because China is such a, a heightened camp performance character, you know. Yeah. Um, but but the, but she's craftily hired because she's capable of that. But we're meant to understand that that is a character, you know, that like there she's is a this very, very good there. actress. And yeah. she got screwed by some pretty awful circumstances with health and with sexism in the, yeah. in the industry because yeah. yeah. she had a pretty bad bout with rheumatoid arthritis. Yeah. And that's what between the arthritis and and like really bad and like medication and then self-medication, which led to alcoholism. Yeah. Her appearance changed. And, yeah. you know, already it's very easy to age out of being useful in Hollywood yeah. if you have the unfortunate circumstance of being a woman. Yeah. And uh, and not being Meryl Streep. Right. And so, uh, you know, it was just like a powerful combination of things that like kind of just pulled her out of it through no fault of her own. Yeah. And uh so, yeah, it's easy to have forgotten that she started first as a really good actress who happened to be sexy, too. Yeah, yeah. And now, in hindsight, our image of her has shifted. And But if you look back at her career, no matter what she looked like or what type of role she was playing, the one thing that is consistent is that she's a very, very good actress. Yeah, you know, it's so funny. I think because of when I grew up, I only know her as the unfortunate, like, comic version of her. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Oh, yeah. um, and, and because I've not gone back and caught up with a ton of her stuff outside of some of that weird campy shit, that's all I know her as, really. So I was, like, floored by her, like, performance in some of these scenes. I thought she yeah, was so good. Yeah, I really good. have only known her as, like, I, I would say, honestly, the most, like, air quote, real that I've seen her is, like, War of the Roses. Yeah, yeah. And even that movie sort of has a heightened nature to it that uh, doesn't necessarily tap into her capacity for, like, an empathetic performance that right. we see shades of fear and crimes of passion. Yeah. Um, 
Yeah, uh, Kathleen Turner rocks. And... She was so good in this, man. I really yeah. thought she was awesome. By the way, I, I, I'm i just circling back now to something we were talking about before because I thought about it and uh, it just came back up in my head. We were talking about Anthony Perkins' character. Yeah, I do think, uh, or do you agree with me? I, I don't know if uh, Ken Russell is necessarily doing this, but I had the thought as you were talking about him. Do you think this character is meant to be the one place where a line is drawn between just being a human that has desires and actually being deviant? Um, I mean, he's certainly the one character whose repression has actually affected him in a way that is violent towards others. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Because, like, we talked about this when we talked about The Witch. Yeah. And, like, that story to me is a story of repression leading to rot. Yeah, yeah. You know, like, uh, Anya Taylor-Joy plays a character who, by the nature of the time and who she is and what she is at the time, must live a completely closed-off life. Mm -hmm. And by the time she is given the opportunity to live deliciously, (laughs) um, that takes the form of something malevolent. Whereas, had she the ability to express herself, be free, be commutative, act upon her desires naturally before then she probably would not have become part of a baby eating cult. Right. Yeah. You know? And so I think that Perkins is, is sort of representing the idea of if you tamp it down long enough, it can become dangerous. Yeah. yeah, It can become violent both to yourself and to others. Yeah. Whereas if you express it, whatever form that may take, uh, you know, as long as it's not necessarily an inherently violent thing, but that's yeah. just, you know, further down on that spectrum. But like, you know, uh, the more you repress something, the more of a chance it has to mutate into something harmful. That's, um, yeah. That's as, a great know, I think he yeah. sort of represents that. Yeah. Um, yeah. That makes sense. But once again, I think that the movie very smartly doesn't necessarily judge him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah if we were to put, labels on these characters he could be what we call a villain yeah. i would say more because of what he represents as sort of that plot motivator yeah yeah but uh you know it doesn't necessarily judge him it almost pities him for that mm, that's interesting that's interesting because I, I definitely like his character you know it is I, I do think like psychopathic right like by the end yeah. of the movie is he's unwell re- yeah 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 but i think you're right that the movie definitely wants us to think that um that is the result of uh, like uh, uh, extreme repression over like yeah. a long period of time. There's a reason he's older than the rest of the cast. Yeah. You know, there's a reason that we get scenes of him cowering under his vanity that's plastered with posters of the women he desires. You know, yeah. like there's yeah. it, there's there's a reason like I think it shows the cumulative effects of non-expression and self-hatred due yeah. to that non-expression i think that's yeah. sort of i don't like like, once again though with everything that i'm saying this is based on one viewing yes. of it that oh, happened this could all be bull- ago. you yeah. know like this and could, this all, could be all be bullshit i mean it's, it's something i've been thinking about lately as i talk about movies is that like i always want i i i would never expect a filmmaker to ever actually listen to our show but i would be curious to hear a filmmaker go like Dude, everything you just said is bullshit. Like I, I yeah. had, no, I had none of those thoughts while making this movie. You know, um, I, I, it's something for some reason I'm thinking about lately is like how much a filmmaker might like point at some of, personally, like my like deconstruction of their movie is just like that is some high grade horseshit, my friend. Yeah, you yeah. Know? At the same time, though, I would validate it just by saying like you know your intentions are yeah. but one part of the conversation. 
And whereas they're weighted heavier, you know, like I can't help my reaction to it. Yeah, I can't help my thoughts on it. But I think that this movie, you know, in main in remaining relatively judgment free is where I think we're sort of landing on it. Yeah. yeah. I I think it kind of opens the door to like, no, go interpret, you know, figure this out. Oh, for sure. I I would imagine Ken Russell is into the idea that, like, I'm not going to fucking explain my movie to you. Like, yeah, just figure it out. Enjoy it. Go for the ride and see what you think, you know? Because he, he's definitely a, uh, a phrase that you love to use. He's definitely a fucking with the squares filmmaker. Yeah. You know. Oh yeah. This is uh, meant to 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 just shake you out of your comfort zone. Yeah. Yeah. Which is hands down my favorite thing a movie can do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I to be frank, this is one of the better examples I've ever seen of that. Like, or, or I should say, Ken Russell is like. Yeah. Sometimes, sometimes when I'm confronted with those fucking with the squares movies, I feel like a square by the end of it. You yeah. know what I mean? Well, a lot of them sometimes go into the realm of being abrasive about it. Yeah. Yeah. And this doesn't feel abrasive about it. Right. Right. This feels tender. Like it actually yeah. understands that there's like humanity still like running underneath a lot of this, you know, um, which I appreciate so much uh, about it. Uh, I'm ready to talk technical stuff if you are, because I yeah, want to talk about the pop tart of the. This might be the most pop tart any movie has ever pop tarted. And even beyond the pop tarty moments, yeah, the lighting, the set design, and like just the coloring of everything is next fucking level. Yes. Like through and through. And even in like the bland, bland purposefully blander looking soap operatic scenes, yeah. they're dense, they're thoughtful. There's like there's layers of texture. Like when they're laying in bed, there's that beautiful shadow coming in off yeah. of, you know, and it's just a regular shadow. It's not lit. Just a blander version of the hyper neon, you know, yeah. through the curtain shadow that happens in, you know, the, the it's not a whorehouse, is it? A you hotel? know, motel, hotel? whatever it is. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, oh my god, the lighting in this is just unbelievable. It's next level shit. Yeah, I mean, where China Blue rents a room to work is one of the most gorgeous movie. I mean, it's weird to say about just a sleazy motel room, but like one of the most gorgeous movie settings I've ever seen because of what I love in movie aesthetics. She's just got neon lights of every fucking color you could imagine outside of that window because of the city block that it's on. And so the way that uh, Russell depicts that is with my favored kind of like purple pink neons are what flood the room. But then he, I think this is like so genius. He has like one green neon light yeah. that is just outside one of the windows. And so there's just this hint of green that creeps in on just the left side of the frame while everything else is like that pink neon that I love. So I fucking loved it. I was like, this is like it looks like a painting it's beautiful the the characters in the foreground are often lit in a different color scheme than the setting behind them yes and first off i don't know how that's done um (laughs) you know like i just don't know how to do it because i don't know lighting i'm sure it's actually rather easy but um Uh yeah there's there's uh it's just a weird quality that adds like another layer of texture to what's on screen and also sort of informs what the characters are feeling. Like someone will step into the green when they're feeling queasy about themselves, you know, she steps into the red when she's in control of the scene, you know, but you know, the, the way that people are lit is just a foreground thing. Whereas the background is pop tardy, you know, it's, it's fascinating. Well, and I, I, this will be an interesting technical aspect of this movie to talk about. I was curious if you felt the same way. In particular, in the motel room scenes, but the whole movie kind of has this feeling, but in particular, the motel room scenes, it's interesting you brought up the lighting that way. This really struck me as like, this could be a stage play. 
It almost yeah. feels like it might have been written to be a stage play. You were talking earlier about how some of the dialogue is like sort of rhythmic and people kind of speak in like elliptical kind of like metaphorical uh, statements and stuff. The way that theater is often written. You know what I mean yes. about that? The way theater they has feel like that. they're like fucking with each other, but it's almost like they're like bouncing off one another. Yeah. And theater's different from a movie because like you can't just cut away from that energy. You have to maintain it in scene until the right. scene's over. Right. So it has to sort of have that that pong it's, energy going back yeah. and forth. It's it's like lyrical in a way that movies yes, that's usually the word. aren't, you know? And and it had a kind of lyrical vibe to it in a lot of the dialogue, and it strikes me now that you're talking about that lighting that even that lighting where we're going to light her red when we need to know that she's in power, that's theater light. That's stage lighting. That's what you do on stage because yes. it's not a movie. So you need to enhance some of those. Yeah, you can't angle the, the camera audience. to point yeah. it in a certain way. Although this does both. Yes, yes. Here's a perfect example um, of uh, of a... Uh, of, of like one of those exchanges. This is between Anthony Perkins and China Blue. Yeah. He says, save your soul, whore. And she says, save your money, shithead. Mm-hmm. It's like everything is like that. Yep. Um, or like, sorry, I'm not too good at this. It's my first time. Are you that desperate or that horny? Uh, no, married. Oh, that desperate and that horny. Yes, you know, yes. Like it's Everything is very just bop a bop 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 you know, back yep. and forth kind of like that. Yep. Oh, or, it's got... Didn't your mother teach you to wash your hands after you went to the bathroom? No, she taught me not to piss on my fingers. Yeah. <laughs> like, and it's just, yeah, it's like very much. Yeah, yeah. It, it had a very theater quality to me. And by the way, I think that could potentially be taken as an insult because but it's not. I mean, the movie's extremely cinematic. Um, I, I just was struck by some of those kind of theatrical qualities about it. Um, and I, I, and I think that, that goes back to the devils too. Yeah. Because yeah. one of the things that the devil, and you know, maybe this is just because we're coming at it from a modern modern lens where set pieces are just dead. Like yes. we don't use sets anymore. That's Everything right. takes That's place right. in a green box in Georgia. Yeah. And like this, like, but the devils uses very much. It uses its sets, and the cameras dance around within it. But none of that matters until after the fact. The set and the blocking are done first. Yes, and I yeah. think that both of these movies sort of have that theatrical element. Totally agree. And even uh, uh, in her motel, especially kind of more towards the back half of the movie, once it's revealed that uh, Anthony Perkins has a little hole to watch her from, oh, there, are yeah. even, there are even shots where, like, kind of through a fisheye lens, we are really just watching them as if they are in a theater space, like a stage space. You know what I mean? That's true. Yeah, that's very true. I, I was just sorry, I'm looking back because I've, of the pieces of Tommy that I've seen. Yeah. That is a movie musical, but a lot of it takes place. Like one of the more famous uh, segments from that is pinball wizard by mm-hmm. Elton John. Right. But that is essentially a camera pointed at a stage where he's doing this performance. Okay. And so like, this is definitely a world that Russell lives in, at least what I can say based on my limited experience with him. Yeah. But like, that's, uh, I was talking to Jenna. She was like, Tommy's the best mo- movie musical. I oh, said, I've loved okay. everything I've seen. But like one of the things that I like about a good movie musical like a West Side Story or Chicago is that it validates the need to turn it into cinema while also respecting the fact that this was designed to be on stage. So there are certain elements of that that must be preserved. And so he's a good choice for something like Tommy if it seems that that's his M.O. and things like what we've seen with the devils and crimes of passion. Yeah, but that, that's a really interesting way to say that, by the way, Dan. I I, I like the way you just described uh, the, the the sort of perfect movie musical. 
it's the it's the way it has to be. And thank you. Yeah. Um, yeah. I uh, uh, we we have differing opinions on Chicago in this household. <laughs> so I have had to uh, very uh, I've had to con- like construct that defense over seven years now. <laughs> uh, well, for what it's worth, I'm with you on Chicago. So oh, thank you, thank you, thank you. Actually, and for the most part, Jenna's with me too. It's it's become more of a bit than anything else. Yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, it's uh, <laughs> it's what it is. Yeah. Ah. But yeah, I think for real though, it's good. like you know the the. Uh, he had it coming. He had yeah. it coming. That's just a stage performance, but with good. And it's so weird because Rob Marshall directed that. Yeah. And then you watch Into the Woods and he doesn't consider the staging at all. Yeah. Like it's it almost feels accidental. But like I understand that might also just because like be because like Fosse knocked it out of the park with Chicago. So like right. there's just shit that's hard coded into it now. But, yeah. you know, I, I'll have to ask Jenna about that. I think it was Fosse, but, uh, you know, I don't know. I think you're right about that maybe she'd know. know better than me she's the yeah, theater yeah. expert but um, yeah so i think that this does take that sort of thing where it's like no we we got to make this scene work all in one and then i'm gonna fuck this camera around all around yeah me, you know oh, like, i love the shot of him at the very beginning of bobby outside of the room yeah and he's on the balcony sort of listening in so we get like four layers of that crazy lighting where he's lit like normal yeah. flesh tones. And then in the window, we see this otherworldly looking place that's foreign to him because he's new to this underground that's yeah. neon lit pop tart as shit. But the characters in that are also lit in green and yellow. It, it's, it's amazing. Yeah. Yeah. I, uh, Boy, I even love that story turn, by the way, where it's like, yeah, he's got an investigator and you're like, Oh wow. Okay. So this movie is going to be about how he like, accidentally not even accidentally but like sort of like finds out about her double life yeah, yeah, yeah. and he's been falling for her and then that's going to be a struggle that she's got this stuff and then it's like no within 10 minutes he knows all about her double life and she's not even the one who committed the crime now he's just fully embroiled in the world of, uh, in this woman's world you know he, he like kind of never reports back on his findings yeah like i think at one point he's just like yeah Oh, so <laughs> like that's somebody it, yeah. asked him to because like he doesn't even need like the person that is guilty. If I if I understood it right, either turns themselves in or gets found out totally regardless of his investigation. Like his investigation has nothing to do with the person that gets found out for the crimes. Yeah. yeah. So then so then the guy that hired him is like, oh, yeah, what'd you find out? And he did find out that she's got this whole double life. And he's just like, ah, nothing much. She's like a normal lady. Yeah. You know, he's just like, yeah, eh, nothing, nothing much. Hard worker, that one. Yep. I do like that in that scene too. The guy's like, "What do you think I should do?" And he's like, "Well, he seems sorry. Forgive him." Yeah, yeah. That and I, I don't even really know what that means in the larger context of things. But like, right. I just that moment was, I don't know. I just appreciated that moment because I, I'm, I'm sure that's something that that when I watch this again will have more resonance. But it, that definitely was a moment that kind of threw me, where I was like, "Ooh, interesting choice." Well, and it felt like in an interesting way, it felt very practical and human because like what he says to the guy is like. I mean, he genuinely seems sorry, so I don't think, like, you have an actual criminal here that you need to yeah. worry about. And because you found him out for this, he'll work harder for you than any of your other goddamn employees yeah. for the rest. If you forgive him and let him stay here, you've got, like, a permanent, like, workhorse that will, you know. So he, like, he both, like, it's, a, I don't know, that seemed like a very human reaction to me where he's like, look, that's a human being that seems sorry for what he did, so he shouldn't have to lose his job over it. But and then I think he, he even says, like, he's only human. Right. But then he also is like, and by the way, uh, Mr. Capitalism, you can yeah. take full fucking advantage of this human being 
because of the humanism you're about to show him, you know, like. And he even also says something to the effect of just like, and you get to be the guy that like he says, yes. like, you get to be like, a, you, you, know, a, you will feel good a about yourself, Freddie. Yeah, you, you'll feel good about yourself because you did a good thing for another person. But he doesn't frame it necessarily, if I remember correctly, as you feel good about yourself. It's and think about the image you'll convey as, yeah, yeah, this, you're right. as this generous man. Like he, it's he's sort of selling him on the uh, capitalism on game, side of it. Yeah, yeah, it's a game. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yep. Okay. Right. okay. 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 Uh, <laughs> I don't know why um, uh, One thing I wanted to talk about, uh, as far as like technical, and this is like a very creative technical choice, uh, is all the inserts of like oh, pornography yeah. from throughout history, basically. Um, uh, Tori. So when we first popped the Blu-ray in, Arrows Blue is, as always, like a really wonderful presentation. And it offers you two options to watch the movie. that You can watch the director's cut or the unrated cut. And again, as always with Arrow Discs, and I love this about Arrow Discs, they offer a full explanation of what each is. That the director's cut is something Ken Russell put together for the laser disc of this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, and they, in, in order to create the Blu-ray, they wanted to create top quality. But in order to do that with the director's cut, they had to go back to, you know, like a print to get the most high quality they could. But then for all the stuff that was just from his director's cut, that was just for that disc, they could only source the disc. So yeah. you get the you get the two kind of. By the way, I didn't notice a different quality myself. At one point, I noticed a shift in quality and it was minuscule. Yeah. And I it could have it very easily could have just been me like 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 uh, what's the word projecting the expectation of a different quality somewhere right you know it also might have been a choice because like the way that these this movie looks every little tweak feels like a choice so i I thought it was like a beautiful presentation and then the unrated cut it specifies as like you know uh when this was released theatrically it was cut to shit and there was an unrated vhs that got released at some point which is still cut by like another 15 like uh russell's director's cut is still like 15 minutes longer than that yeah yeah um, so anyway, I bring all this up to say, Tori looked it up because we were like, I don't know which version we're, we should be watching, you know? So Tori Googled it. And what Google told her is that what, even cut from the unrated one is the inserts, is the pornography really? inserts. That, that's one of the things that Russell was like kind of obsessed with at the time that he made this movie. Yeah, was yeah. Just like kind of like smut from like other periods of time and stuff. And that was one of the things that the censors were like, look, American audiences, they, your movie has got all kinds of shit in it that we need to worry about. Let's at least eliminate that. They don't need to, they don't need yeah, to see that's the an easy from, one. you know, that's an easy elimination. Like, let's just get rid of that. Uh, and so that's one of the things that is like unique to his director's cut, as I understand it. Uh, I'm glad we went with the director's cut because I really enjoyed that. I thought that was such an interesting thing because by the way, the way it's used in the movie is that like sometimes as we're watching sex scenes, we just like randomly get a still image that is like ancient Japanese pornography or something. Yeah. You know what I mean? Which is also what Joanna's apartment yeah. is decked out in as well. Yeah. She, uh, they, they do link it kind of thematically to her character. Um, but there are also, there are also inserts that are not from that, uh, Chinese artwork or Japanese art. I think it's specifically Japanese artwork. There, there's not, uh, there are inserts that are from other eras and other, you know, there's like a few that are, are, uh, uh, unique, you know, that, that are, yeah, are yeah. artists, other artistic types. I thought that was such an interesting choice. One, the way they were used, the way they were inserted into specific scenes and specific sequences and the use of them at all. Like, I, I think something that he's maybe trying to address is this idea that, like, look, 
as you were saying before, Dan, we call it a red light district here now in, when was this movie made? 1984. In 1984, we consider what China Blue is doing as smut, as, yeah. as sleazy. But we've been doing yeah, this. This ain't new. We've been doing this for a long fucking time. You know what I mean? Like, uh, I, I was very interested in, in that aspect of it. I assume that that's why he included some of that. I, I don't know, though. There was a movie that I caught at the very first Philadelphia Film Festival I went to many, many years ago. And I actually have the DVD somewhere. It's called The Good Old Naughty Days. Okay. And it's a documentary that consists entirely of just old Nickelodeon, not the kids' channel, but like hand crank Nickelodeon, yeah. pornographic films and stag films and things like that. Yeah. And the idea of this movie is like, we view past eras as quaint and puritanical. And when the reality is these are just shifting things that are cyclical through time. Yeah. But the fact of the matter is people have been into some crazy shit since people have been fucking, you know, like yeah. that's all yeah. it is. Yeah. And so it's, and we tend to assume that about like even old pornography. It's like, Oh, what's she do? Show her ankles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. No, uh, there's people piss on each other in this. This right. one lady gets eaten out by a dog. Like it's just Whoa. like, yeah, there's, and it's, you watch it and it seems very quaint. It's got the, you know, the, the piano playing going along with it and everything's yeah, yeah. sort of in fast motion because the frame rate's different. Yeah. And it's old style stuff, but you watch it, you go, oh, damn, this is, this is hardcore pornography. Yeah. And it's from 1925. Right. You know, and so, but like the message of this movie was the idea of just like, you know, like your dad was a player back in the day. You just didn't get to meet him then. You know, your mom was a player back in the day. You didn't get to meet him then. Your grandparents probably had some shit that they didn't tell you about that got them off because people are people are people, man. And so, yeah, I think that is part of the function of those drawings is similar to the thesis of this documentary is that like what you think you invented, that shit ain't new. Yeah. You know, like that is, that is just what it is. That's the fact of it. But there was also a line about specifically, uh, and I forget if it was Chinese or Japanese, about that artwork that they yeah. say in the movie, where they said it was like considered like gauche or something to to have sex with someone. It, it was something that was very specifically about communication. Do okay. you remember the line? I don't know. I, I, I don't. It was like it was taboo to have sex with somebody with whom you weren't communicative or. Oh, you know yeah. what I'm saying? There, I, but I, I, I don't want to say it wrong because it might be the opposite of that. But it was something that tied into the idea of. It was considered positive or negative based on the level of communication or it was considered the most communication. And I would never I didn't even think about the line until we just started talking about the movie now. And now Dude. I feel like it might be important. I know. So I think Hold that's the dual function of the artwork is one is, yeah, it's supposed to represent that this shit ain't new, like you were saying. But I also think there was also just another thematic tie that was just like, oh, well, also historically, you know, this was about communication. Um, totally makes sense. And I, I had the same dude, the same thing. Like now that you're saying it, I remember registering that line, but not like really considering it in any real capacity, you know? Yeah. And now that we're talking, yeah, hold on. I, I'm uh, the reason I'm kind of like furiously typing on my end is I'm trying to get my computer to take me to the IMDb for this, just to see if that's buried in the quotes somewhere. Yeah, I'm I'm scrolling the the quotes right now, and there's actually not a lot of them. Um, I mean, that makes sense to me. I, I I do wonder, like, how popular is this movie today? You know? Yeah, there's a lot of great quotes though. Um, like, oh boy, I don't uh, know. Do how you want I would... some coffee? No, 
I could uh, use a shot of morphine if you got it. Enough to kill the last 12 years. <laughs> if you think you're going to get back in my panties, forget it. There's one asshole in there already. <laughs> Nicely done. That's very good. That was when that was a Joanna quote to Bobby. Uh, I am trying to see if there. Yeah, I don't think, I don't think I'm going to have a a good time of quickly tracking that down. Unfortunately, I was trying to do a quick. Every once in a while, I've been able to find like the full script for something pretty easily, just through oh, like yeah. a Google, you know. Uh, but I am uh, I'm having no luck here. But uh, yeah, I, I'm with you. I do think there. I think you're right. I think there is a line specifically about this, and I think you're right that it's like. It is literally about like uh, communicating via sex or sex via communication or something like that. I literally just Googled. Uh, I just Googled crimes of passion movie Asian artwork and uh, no, 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 no luck. No luck. No luck. That's Wait, all right. I bet. I wonder if there is. Oh, look at that. There's a Pat Benatar album called Crimes of Passion. If in the plot description, there is a. Uh, Hooker with a heart of gold, botched threesome in a limousine. Um, yeah, we'll have to, we'll just have to check back into it because I, I don't think we're gonna be able to find it. No, I don't. I don't think we can do it quick enough. Uh, hey, uh, a real technical detail I wanted to bring up to you, my friend, because I thought this would uh, uh, blow your mind. Did you pay attention to who shot this movie? I, you know what I. Uh, I saw that one of the set dressers was Frank Darabont in the credit. Oh, I did not know that. Yeah, That's but amazing. I, I did not see who shot this movie. Okay, well, first of all, it's a cinematographer that has a name. Like, if you could just pick a name out of a hat for who the cinematographer for the sleazy movie Crimes of Passion would be, and you were trying to write a joke, what would their name be? I'll tell you what his name is. It's Dick Bush. Bush <laughs> is the cinematographer of Crimes that of Passion. That is the cinematographer, though. I am familiar. Yeah, I don't know what else he shot, but I've seen that name. Yeah, um, he shot a lot of stuff. He shot some Hammer stuff. He shot Dracula AD nineteen seventy two, Twins of Evil. Um, I've seen a couple of those. He shot Phase Four, um, the oh, Salt Bass movie. Phase Four. Have you seen that? I haven't yet. I own it actually, and I'm looking dude, forward to watching it. Phase Four is nuts. Very but, weird shit. I I'm very excited to watch it. The number one movie that Dick Bush shot on Letterboxd is Sorcerer, my friend. What? Oh, right on. You know what? I can see it. Yep. I can definitely see it. Yep. Very uh, nice. Yes. So, sorry that I gave so much lead up to just saying Sorcerer, no. but I knew you would love that. Yeah, that's incredible. I knew I knew that name because I've, yep. I've, I've been like, because <laughs> I'm yep. a child, man. Yes. It's a Dick Bush. Oh, that's Dude, amazing. I knew I knew his name too, but when it came up on this movie in particular, I was like, come on, man. Yeah. Oh, you mean a, you mean a, a pussy fart McCumsquirt shot this movie? <laughs> you, mean old you mean old penis <laughs> vagina shot this movie? <laughs> that is sort of what his name is, isn't it? <laughs> you mean penis and vagina pubes? Yeah. <laughs> shot this all together? <laughs> Uh, we're grown men i know it's uh, really sad i want to drop uh, yeah frank darabont was listed as a set dresser which i thought I was interesting um pretty cool uh, just as i was scrolling through the wikipedia looking for that note about the artwork which i'm gonna i'm gonna hunt down i'm gonna find yes. it on the on the blu-ray and bring it up next week um 
this is a quote from Barry Sandler, who oh, wrote the, the movie, about yeah. the writing. It says, the film was based on an original script by Barry Sandler. Sandler started writing it in the late 1970s. Here's a quote from Sandler. I was tapping into what was going on around me during the 80s. It was just the beginning of the advent of the AIDS crisis. People had difficulties with their relationships. There was a lot of sex going on, and it was very easily accessible, and a lot of people were using it as kind of an excuse or a defiance or a rationale or some way to avoid intimacy, to avoid relationships. That's very interesting, because, Dan, the one big question I had at the end of this movie, after watching The Devils and Crimes of Passion back-to-back, was, is Ken Russell... Like, sexually repressed, like, these movies are about sexual repression, but they're about sexual repression in such a peculiar, specific way. By the end of this movie, I started to feel like, is the person that made this sexually repressed? Yeah, like, yeah. expressing that through their movies. Now, I, I don't know if that's even anything we have any meaningful thing to discuss about, but I, I really, like, it actually struck me towards the end of this that, and, and, and he, so that quote even... Oh, doesn't yeah. necessarily mean the writer is sexually repressed, but but he was working through something. Yeah, like, and he's saying something almost opposite of what I thought about this movie in that description, which is he's saying that these people are using sex to avoid intimacy, which I, I agree. Actually, now that he, now that I'm hearing that out loud, I'm like, yeah, I can see that in this movie, but I, I did not necessarily think that that was specifically what this movie, right? Like, this movie well, felt like it was about more than just that, you know? I think it goes hand in hand with what we're saying, though. Like, if they're using it as rationale to avoid intimacy, yeah. that's essentially what we're talking about. Intimacy is communication. Yes, yes. That's, it's just a fancy word for that. And so with all of these games and things that people do, be it in the bedroom or just, yeah. like, in their marriage... These are all just posturings and games that they do to avoid said intimacy. Right, but what's interesting to me is that his quote is that they're using sex to avoid intimacy, yeah. which only applies to, like, one character in this movie. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. most of the other characters, it's kind of the other way around. You know what I mean? Like, they are legitimately sexually repressed, you know? They're not using sex. They're They're actually, like pretty repressed section. so anyway i just that's very interesting yeah i mean i think it almost goes both ways though like because like china blue is using her sex to avoid you know who she really is joanna right. you know who right. her you know but uh you know and i actually don't know the point i'm trying to make that's okay because no because i think you're right because it, it is but but i think it goes both ways in that like you know, the, the the idea is, yes, I'm doing these crazy sex games to avoid the intimacy of talking to my wife or to avoid the intimacy of of revealing just like my actual day to day life as a designer lady. Yeah. But also at the same time, it is these games that we're playing in and of themselves are also communicating a truth that my normal life Mm, mm. was a veil over you know like it, it kind of goes both ways where it's like so in the case of bobby it's like you know my marriage hid me from this uh, this repressed sexual interest that i have me expressing these sexual interests is also hiding me from having to communicate my marriage That's so like it's you know what i'm yeah. saying like it's kind yeah. of the yeah. same thing yeah. but just a mirror image of one another you're also making me realize that I could be um, putting too limited a view on that quote 
because you you could technically say if you wanted that like even um bobby and his wife annie potts's character um uh who i would say like annie potts's character is very specifically seems like very sexually repressed to me yeah you know you could still say that she is quote unquote like you know um uh using sex to avoid intimacy her her lack of sex is like uh, somehow avoiding intimacy do you know yeah. what i mean like so well, they so have I, that conversation where he's like don't you ever get off and she's like right. it's not about that for me right right the fuck it isn't like right. there's very clearly like you know very clearly you need to to figure out what this is that's going to get you off but her just saying good enough protects her from having to have that conversation with right. her husband of this right. is what i need in order yeah. to get off yeah you just made me realize but then, that, that and vice be... versa yeah, he could be saying like lack of sex is being yeah, vice versa. Lack of sex is being used to 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 repress or vice versa. Yeah, you know, yeah. that's interesting. I think it oh, goes I'm, both ways. You yeah, know? I'm glad we talked man, about this. This is yeah. fucking incredible. I know, man. It's like every time we do this, I, I actually a, a thing that uh, I you know this could be an off-air conversation, but like a thing that I've really been enjoying about our show over the last like I don't know like 20 episodes or so is I feel like. Uh, we have loosened up a little bit and have started actually having a little more like conversation about the movies oh, as yeah. opposed to just like. I don't know talking points, you know, like we're we're, yeah. we're digging a little more, and I, I've There's really more been enjoying it. to this. Yeah, oh, yeah. I, I would agree, and I and I, honestly, I I would say so too. I've been enjoying them lately. Yeah. I can't wait till we could just fucking do this in person again. <laughs> Watch too, the movie together. Fuck. I know, I know. I can't wait to get so back to it. After this quote, yeah. there's. I'm gonna read you a paragraph and a half Please. here. Please. So the one it says, uh, Sandler said he did about forty drafts of the script before Ken Russell saw it. Holy shit. It began as a two-character piece of China Blue and Shane. Shane is Reverend Shane, that's yep. uh, Anthony Perkins. With Shane masquerading as a psychiatrist and China Blue as a single woman who is very sexually compulsive. He introduced the Grady character, who became more prominent, and then Joanna became a prostitute. Hmm. I think that also speaks to, like, that feels like a play. Yeah. You know, doing it like oh, a two-hander. Two but here's yeah. the craziest part. Sander, Sandler had meetings with John Frankenheimer, Whoa. Bob Raffleson, and John Carpenter. Oh, my God. As well as Cher. This <laughs> could have been a Cher movie, and wow. she would have been great. She would have been. But had trouble getting it financed because of the film's content. Uh, I mean, so, I mean, that last sentence makes sense to me. But can you imagine the John Carpenter version of this? Because, yeah. interestingly, uh... I think it would be different. I don't know how different it would be, but like it would probably be like a Dean Cundy shot version of this, which would look like maybe similar, but probably distinctly different. You know, yeah. I, I'm just like trying to imagine that. All I feel like, like the so sexual world would be grimier. Yeah. Um, which would have its own values. I think it wouldn't be as much of a match to the script. I also feel like the the gender politics might be skewed a little differently. I was going to say it might be a little less non-judgmental there might Dude, be some judgment in there that's, that's you what know. i was just thinking i think that yeah. john carpenter i love john carpenter you know how much i love him i think the john carpenter version of this movie is judgmental yeah much more so agree. than ken russell's version i also think it would be more plot heavy i think it would focus more on the idea of reverend shane being yep. a murderous threat yep um now that said, the scene where uh, someone ultimately is stabbed with the vibrating Superman Whoa. dildo would probably have looked goddamn incredible. Yes. You know? yeah. yeah, but I think you're 100% correct. The John Carpenter version would have been more judgmental. Yep. I think it would have been more plot heavy. Yep. And I think that it would have keyed more into the themes of his repression yes. as opposed to into the general themes of 
just humanity's sexual conversation. Right. John Carpenter would have tapped into the Grady character as if he was like the main character of this movie, yeah. probably, you know? Like I also he would... think it would have been a di- like this movie is actually quite funny as it yeah. is. There's yes. a lot of humor in there. I think the humor would have been significantly different, even if yeah. the script was word for word the same. Yes, I agree. I agree. I also think the John Carpenter version of Crimes of Passion uh, literally doesn't have Kathleen Turner on the cover and does have the Grady character on the cover. Yeah. Do you know oh, what yeah. I mean? He's holding the the, yeah. the dildo. Or, or or it's got fucking Perkins on the cover. It's it's yeah. it's the serial killer version of this movie. You know. Also, it wouldn't have the killer Rick Wakeman soundtrack. No, which is it so good. It would have just man. had the John Carpenter soundtrack, yeah. which would have been awesome. Amazing. But it would have been very tonally different yeah. because that soundtrack as it is is fucking banana pants it's i can't uh, even describe it it's like prog rock screaming techno circus music like i don't know what that becomes like crazy just like what i associate with like like uh i'm watching scramble vision skinamax porn late at night (laughs) fuck music like it's all of that dude you are so correct and uh, genuinely the best scene in the movie in my opinion or just maybe my favorite scene is Kathleen Turner fucking a cop with his own nightstick? One, just yeah. because of like, you know, everything that's happening in the world currently and, and my current feelings about the state of, you know, police and things Which like that. Like also happens right after the cop throws someone to the ground yes. just to do it because he's got power. Yep. It's I mean, it's like pretty expressly like an anti-authority uh, moment oh, yeah. in the movie. And it is scored to some fucking wailing saxophone. Yeah. I was I was like, this is great for me. This is incredible. I do love that, that it's like this cop who gets off on throwing people into the ground also gets off on being completely submissive and having his nightstick shoved up his ass. Yep. Yeah. Fascinating. Yep. So here's another thing. Uh, This Wikipedia, I really wish I read it before the show because they talk about him sending it to Ken Russell. And Ken Russell has a quote in here that I think validates everything we've said in this episode. Okay, this is great. Go ahead, please. Sandler's agent suggested he send the film to Ken Russell. Quote, they knew it was a very risky, very daring project, said the writer. And let's face it, you couldn't get more of a risky and audacious filmmaker than Ken Russell. Russell says the, the, says the script, quote, offered something new in dealing with sex and family life and the masks we accept. It's a powerful subject and I was quite taken with it, especially when I saw it dealt with these religious hucksters on TV. I know I was obsessed with these terrible preachers. Russell called it a film about the exploitation of women, especially at the hands of the macho American male. Uh, Quote, Americans are asked to live in a world of complete fantasy, which they can never live up to. Whoa. Yes. Fucking very in tune with a lot of what we're saying here. Yeah, that's great. You know, and it didn't even occur to me, and I did know this, that, uh, you know, Ken Russell's a British filmmaker, and this is like a very distinctly American setting and film. Um, that that's very interesting. I yeah. didn't even think about that. What city uh, does this take place in? Uh, I actually I don't know. Uh, oh wait, no, they. I think they are. Exp- is it San Francisco? It might yeah, be I, San Francisco. I think they're specific about it at some point. Yeah, I figured it was. I just yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I think San Francisco. That might be a different movie I watched this week. I watch so many movies now that I, they sometimes they bleed together. Uh, oh, you know what? You know why Rick Wakeman's music sounds like uh, because do you know who Rick Wakeman is? I I have no idea. He's a member of Yes. Oh my God. Okay. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. I just clicked him. So yeah, he's Yes. So that that makes sense. 
Um, he did. He was a session musician for Space Oddity with David Bowie. Okay, yeah. Um, he played with T Rex, Elton John, oh, Junior's dude. Eyes, Cat Stevens. So okay, I knew his name sounded familiar. So I, I'm not sense. fully uh, 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 familiar with Yes. Like I me know either. the the hits, but uh, yeah. yeah. But it yes. does make sense to me, though. I mean, like I literally, I, the, you, you'll love that. I watched uh, Nighthawks this week with Tori. Uh, <laughs> That movie is a big old awesome mess. It's a bananas mess. I love. We really liked it. Like, I, it is such a watchable, enjoyable movie. But the score for that is a uh, uh, Keith Emerson of Emerson Lake and Paul. It was like ELP uh, uh, Palmer, yeah. Yeah, Palmer, yes, yes. Uh, and like, is insane. It's an insane score, yeah. but it's it's kind of similar to this one, and that's all connected for me now. Where it's like, yeah, it's just like it's pop musicians of this era being asked to score movies. Well, they're, they're both prog rock, and yeah. they're all yeah. very keyboard heavy and synthesizer heavy. You're yeah. right. Actually, pop musician was the wrong way to say that. I'm thinking of them now in the well, larger I mean, context of music. I would but... say that prog is a is a. Uh... Uh, it's a popular it's d- a subset of pop yeah, because yeah, like yeah. yes has some crazy prog shit but they also aren't they the ones that do the um lose yourself you only live your life <laughs> they might be. i'm not as familiar they might be I, I'm, not, I'm not sure if that's them but you're right a song right. that i actually know only uh because of the vince vaughn movie the breakup <laughs> oh i've not seen that when one. they I will stand by that movie. As as rom coms go, it's pretty good. But yeah. um, who's the guy who's in all of the uh, uh, Christopher Guest movies? Um, One guy, uh, John Michael Higgins. Boom. Oh, okay. And he plays. He's in like a barbershop quartet, and so he's trying to get everybody at the dinner table to like play a different part of the song so he can sing because he wants to share with them the joy. And Vince Vaughn, of course, is not having it, and that's the song that he has them doing. Okay. And he's like trying to get him. He's like, you know, he's like, and you're going to do the bass. Oh, order of a lonely heart. And he's got everybody chiming in and he keeps coming at Vince Vaughn. He's like, and then there's Gary. That's Gary. Come with the kick drum, Gary. Do the kick drum. That's the kick drum. Come, come with the kick drum. And he's like trying to get him. And he's this close to his face. And Vince Vaughn's just simply not having it. Typical Vince Vaughn shit. uh, But that song, I always associate with that. because, And he sings it like this close to Vince Vaughn's face. (laughs) It's very funny. But yeah, that's yes. Interesting. Yeah, that that is so funny. Yeah, prog rock makes sense as the (laughs) source of this music. Yeah. Uh, Dude. I fucking loved this movie. I, I really think this is like kind of a weird masterpiece that I don't know who to share with, but feel like everyone should see. It's the type of movie where I look at it and I go, wow, I can see so many other movies that that like that. Uh, try and I don't want to say fail, but like try to do similar things. And by sheer virtue of them not just being as brazenly weird, can't get there. And so in that yeah. respect, there's there's like nothing like this. And it yeah. gets there in a way that like, I don't know, it's just it seems like the perfect uh, just confluence of talents, because like we said, you throw it in front of Frankenheimer, you throw it in front of Carpenter, you cast it with Cher. It's still good, but yeah. it's different. But like yeah. everything here is just kind of perfectly matched. Yeah. And I could never, ever pitch that. It it just feels it just feels faded to to have worked out the way it did. Yeah. And if one little ingredient was tweaked, it's very different. It, it, yeah. Right. I I love a movie like this. You're right. I mean, it's like it's it's a movie that probably doesn't work if somebody if Ken Russell doesn't make it right. Or, or yeah. Not that it doesn't work. You're right. It's like it's probably still a good movie, but like it's not. It's just 
it's not the five star movie I watched, you know, two days yeah. ago. I don't the think the material I think is unassailable. It's it's yeah. good. Yeah. But just for everybody to just kind of have their own way of getting it. Yeah. And then they all get it together. That's you know, like a, a shift on the soundtrack makes this different. Yes. A yes. shift on the cast makes this a little different. You know, yeah. just you you get Dick Bush out of there. Yeah. It's a little bit different, you know? You do get Dick Bush out of there, by the way. Yeah. You get a lot <laughs> get of Dick Bush, Bush out of there. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And then it's also just like a really great, fun, horny movie. And who doesn't yes, love a great, fun, horny movie? Yes, it is. Yeah. Man, we watched, uh, yes, we watched um, the Verhoeven one this week. We watched the, It was so interesting to have watched. Why can't I think of the name now? I keep wanting to say Fatal Attraction. Basic oh, Instinct. Uh, Basic Instinct. Watch Basic Instinct. We watched this. It was like we like accidentally had a very horny movie weekend and we're thrilled by it. It was it was great. Yeah, nothing. Because that's the thing. Like, it's such a fine line to walk between yeah. being a horny movie. That's delightfully so. And dipping into just like, all right. It takes a type. I don't think the line has ever been finer than it is yeah. in Crimes of Passion. Right. I mean, this is walking the tightest of tightropes in that regard. And, and I and is perfect in in my opinion you know yeah like it nails i would agree I, I, even something in like i loved basic instinct but even that movie like the way that it's sexy it's yeah. like just it's kind of funny yes you know yes. um that was a it was in my letterbox review but the way i always describe those 90s movies is just like male character uh no sorry female character you know what's sexy male character i don't know what female character yeah like that's but this actually feels more real more uh, human uh, movie john's ryan silverstein uh who's been a guest on our show many times before uh his review of basic instinct made me laugh so hard uh I, i'm gonna I, this is not word for word but it was something like this is exactly what i imagined r-rated movies were when i was 12 years old <laughs> yeah that's exactly the way to put it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and dude, oh man, Color of Night. I can't wait to just spread the, the oh. Bible of Color of Night to the world. Please do. Did you know that there is a, I believe it stars Dom DeLuise, there is a parody movie called uh, Fatal Instinct or no? Basic Attraction. I can't decide. It's one okay. of those two. Uh, yeah, there is one of those that is a parody of those kinds of movies. I don't believe it's it's supposed to be good, but I do believe that it does exist and is likely available in the Walmart $3 bin as we speak. And it's like it's not a Zucker or a Saltzman or a, it's like just a, like a, a knockoff mock-off movie? Mock-off. I think so. Let's see. I think it's called Fatal Instinct. Because he also did The Silence of the Hams. Oh, right. Which I've not seen either. Yeah. Yeah, Fatal Instinct is a Carl Reiner movie. What? Yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, okay. Now you're... It stars Armand DeSante, Sherilyn Fenn, Sean Young. Oh, Sherilyn uh, Fenn's James Andrew? Remar. Jesus Christ. Christopher Wait, okay. McDonald, a.k.a. Shooter McGavin from a... Sorry, Happy Dan, I know we're making fun of this movie, but suddenly uh, I want to watch it. Yeah. John Witherspoon. Actually, there's a guy whose name is just Michael Kumpsty, which is making oh, me laugh. Of course. Wow, uh, Carl Reiner's in it. Eartha Kitt is in it. Man, uh, okay. Jane Lynch. <laughs> okay. okay. Uh, it's, I, it's been, I, I, I it's, it's been added to my watch list. Yeah, I'm, I, I can fuck with this. Yep. Wait, now I just got to see what, because it does not have Dom DeLuise, so I'm thinking of The Silence of the Hams, which, 
Wow, the cover of that is something special. <laughs> Which is written and directed by Ezio Gregio, who did nothing of uh, that I've recognized. All right. He has a 2020 movie called Lockdown All Italiana. I believe he's an Italian filmmaker. But yeah, The Silence of the Hams um, has B- Billy Zane. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> John Aston. Oh, Bubba Smith. He was Hightower in the Police Academy movies. Oh, okay. I did. But, I, yeah, gotta, I gotta tell you. Billy, people that. Billy Zane. Oh, go, 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 go. Give me Billy the Billy Zane's Zane. Billy character name is Joe D. Foster. <laughs> okay, that was worth it. Yeah, okay. Oh, and then Dom DeLuise's name is Dr. Animal Cannibal Pizza. Jesus Christ. So not so good. Okay, so your thing, please. I mean, my thing is just that, by the way, I'm looking at Fatal Instinct on Letterboxd. It uh, doesn't necessarily have a high. It's a very mid-tier rating overall. But people that we like, are friends with, and respect, and like a bunch of them, this is a three- or four-star movie, apparently. I will totally watch it. I'm watching it. It's on Tubi. I'm completely into that. It's on Tubi? It's on Tubi. Dude, I might watch that. That might be the After I Crack a Beer movie tonight. (laughs) That sounds like it could be one of those. Oh, man, I am so glad you looked that up, because as the more, the deeper you got on that cast list, the more I was like, that's, that is, I'm watching it. I'm going to watch it. I'm I'm still gonna avoid Silence of the Hams though. Yeah, I don't. Nope, n- nothing you said about that made me want to watch it. But uh, Fatal yeah. Instinct, I'm in. Uh, damn, let's wrap this episode up. Is there Should anything? We wrap up? Uh, How long have we been going? Oh shit, we've got so about two hours. We're good. We're good. What uh, is there anything else you wanted to say about Crimes of Passion? Are we missing anything? Is there something uh, in your bottom? I'm gonna find that quote because I'm really, really fascinated with finding the quote about the the artwork yes yes. but no i think that's it this movie was one of those blind buys that i bought just because it was cheap i was like i should as a film guy i should know some more ken russell you know we dig on anthony perkins i like me some kathleen turner overdrive and um (laughs) remember that was jack black's band i got um, it uh yeah well before they became barry jive in the uptown five Uh um Uh, uh, why can't i think of the name of that high fidelity high fidelity uh, for a short like while, I actually played in a band called Kathleen Turner Overdrive after like that it. quote. Like um, the only the only song we ever got down was we did a like punk-ish cover of Newsies' uh, Seize the Day. Great. That sounds it was fun. a lot of fun. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, fun stuff. But um, no, it's just like as, as, as far as blind buys go, this is yeah. like the best one that I have ever blind bought. <laughs> and it's not even fucking close. <laughs> I am. Fully with you, and this was literally Tori was like, "Oh, hey, I, I like we were trying to we were doing an episode of Killer Bees on uh, Meiko Kaji, um, Lady Snowblood, uh, yeah. and uh, she's in the uh, Female Scorpion movies, which yeah, we yeah, wanted to get those. our we wanted to get our hands on, and the Arrow sale happened, and they have a box set of them. And Tori was like, "Great, I'll get that box set," and so she goes to me, she was like, "Yeah, so I got those, and um, there was an Anthony Perkins movie, so I bought that too. It was literally she bought this. I didn't even buy it. Tori bought this movie just because of Anthony Perkins. That's the only reason we own it. And I, I'm with you. I've never, never had a blind buy be this good. Yeah, I'm gonna watch this again and again. And like, I blind bought The Mercenary and Rolling Thunder, and both of yeah. those movies kicked serious fucking ass. Yeah. But like, yeah, this puts him to sleep. This was yeah. this was real fucking good. I'm with you. I like can't wait to watch it again. Actually, like, I'm, yeah. I'm looking forward to watching this movie more. 
which is cool. Yeah, awesome. I hope we did it justice because I I loved this movie and think people should watch it. it it's I think incredible. we did, and also listeners, like if you have thoughts on this, this is one like oh yeah, even please. if you're not like suggesting a movie or something, just like we're open to the idea of hearing your thoughts oh. and reading them on the air as well. So if, if we... you have any thoughts about this movie or any trivia you want to shoot our way, yeah. like please do with any movie really. Yeah, uh, I... you know we're definitely looking to do that. We would open every episode of the show with a like listener mailbag uh, yeah. if there was a mailbag. So fill it, please. Uh, we're at I like two movie at gmail.com. That's I like the numeric two. I like two movie at gmail.com. And uh, yeah, g- give us your thoughts on this movie. We'll read them on the air. Like we, we would love to talk more about this stuff, uh, you know. Um, and actually, uh, Dan, I know we're going to be on YouTube next week, but I think it's for something specific that we could probably maybe let people know about. Yeah, um, this actually, depending on on our guest, uh, what their level of comfort is, um, this will either be on the YouTube or just the audio feed. Yeah. Um, even if it's just uh, the audio feed, I, I actually don't think he'll have any problem being on the YouTube. But I yeah, will yeah. get that information. We'll still uh, drop yeah. a little something on the YouTube for you for a few minutes. But yeah. um, there is a movie that was made by a local filmmaker called Adverse. Yeah. And the filmmaker's name is Brian Metcalf. And so he has been gracious enough to uh, reach out to us and see uh you know and, and just be on our show you know he, he reached yeah. out for a review and uh when i said hey you know you want to be interviewed he was totally into the idea so next week's show will be an interview with brian metcalf the movie is called adverse you can watch it now on prime video it is a six dollar rental so awesome. if you want to follow along and join in on our interview uh definitely do that I, I don't know if it's on any other things, but I, I, I believe you do have to pay to rent it. But this guy is a Pennsylvania-based filmmaker. Yeah. And so I have no problems demanding that you go out and spend some money right. because uh, this is the kind of work you want to support. And the movie looks pretty cool. It's a thriller. So we're going to we're gonna check it out and talk to the filmmaker next week. Yeah, I'm really looking forward to it. I'm watching it this week. I'm looking forward to it. And I'm excited to talk to Brian. Uh, I can't wait for that. Um, uh, Dan, where can people find you on the internet? So I am at Dan Scully on all of the things. Um, check out moviejohn.com. Check out findy.com. I promise you that my crime piece uh, will be coming to Movie John. I bit off more than I could chew in terms of assignments. So I've uh, I've cut some deadlines out of my life. But that is coming, especially as the criterion of memories of murder arrives in my mailbox. Also, fuck, I'm going to blow the name of the podcast. Uh, let's take a stab at it. You nailed it. Yes, you took a stab, stab at, at it, and it. you nailed it. Uh, I took a stab at it, nailed it. I was uh, fortunate to be a guest on their show this week, and uh, I don't know when the episode drops. I'm waiting to hear from them, but it is the next episode, and uh, we covered Behind the Mask, The Rise of Leslie Vernon, and when I say I had so much fun on this podcast, I could not understate it harder. We had a blast. Garrett was on their show previously. You probably yep. heard it for Black Christmas. And, um, yeah, so I got Behind the Mask on there. That will be dropping soon, so definitely check out their show. Give it a like, a follow, subscribe, whatever it is that you got to do, because uh, I've listened to a couple episodes. It's a really good show, and the hosts are a couple of good guys that uh, deserve your ears. And I'm very excited. I'll just – I'm going to talk them up again, because uh, apparently I was on it a week too early, because their next episode after mine is going to be your next. So uh, a lot of good stuff coming down their pipeline there, but the Behind the Mask episode – is uh features uh, lovely old me yeah i by the way i think they released their uh their show in like seasons so okay. i think they've been like pre-recording all of this and it's in like may or june like it's all gonna start coming out like weekly ah uh, okay I okay that, i think it's something like that 
Yeah, because um, this is like the slasher portion yeah. of it. Yeah. And then also you can check out uh, Hot Property. Um, the new episode, I believe, went up today. It is also available on Spotify. And uh, this week we uh, <laughs> we basically pit Jigsaw against other fictional people to see who would win. <laughs> I like that. Um, it wasn't even planned. It's just how it happened. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so Harold and Kumar fixed <laughs> Jigsaw. <laughs> <laughs> That's fun. I like that. Ridiculous shit. Um, but yeah, and so that and some Hot Pockets talk and all that fun stuff. Check out Hot Property. Excellent. Uh, you can find me everywhere on the internet at Philadelphia. That's with an F. Please follow my letterboxed. I love writing stuff there. I uh, feel like I've been enjoying writing reviews there lately. I've watched way more movies this year than any other year prior. So. Lots of content over there. Right uh, and uh, follow my other podcast, Killer Bees. Uh, we're at Killer BS Podcast everywhere on the internet. Uh, you know, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, all that stuff. Uh, you can find us, you can find that podcast on Spotify and iTunes and all those places as well. Um, we just released our uh, part two of our Harry Dean Stanton series, where, Dan, we watched Lucky, which you've been recommending to me forever. Yeah, Lucky I uh, interviewed the director. Very looking great movie. Like, I loved that movie so much. Uh, so, yeah, so uh, check out Killer Bees podcast. We're having a great time over there. There are things that are bigger than all of us, and one of them's tortoises. Yeah. Dude, that he's monologue so good. about what's his name? President, uh, President Roosevelt. President Roosevelt. That's it. Yeah. President Roosevelt. The, uh, yeah. yeah, amazing. Really? I good. really liked that movie. And that, yeah, that's directed by John Carroll Lynch, AKA uh, Arthur Lee Allen in Zodiac. Yeah. Um, and Drew Carey's brother. Uh, yes. on the Drew Carey show. Yep. And uh, if the interview I did with him, which is on Cinema 76, is any indication, like, the world's sweetest man. Oh, I bet. Yeah. Yeah, so good. real nice guy. L- loved that movie. Um, uh, Yeah, so check out my other podcast and uh, follow me. And uh, yeah, moviejohn.com. That's where we are. It's the Philadelphia Yeah, Movie John Podcast Network. That's right. Ow! With a bunch of other great shows, uh, which is fun. Uh, Yeah, uh, my name is Garth Smith, and I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully, and I like to movie movie. And we all know that's you like to movie movie because we, we like to take movie. Movie.